The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. <laughs> These plates don't juggle themselves, folks. Sometimes you wish they did. I am your host, Rodicat, and you can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. And those sound effects that you just heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, Brooklyn's finest, uh, representing BK to the fullest, one agent underscore 70. Peace. What's up, everybody? Nice to have so much so so much uh, diversity in your in your sound box for the place that you've come from. <laughs> Brooklyn represent exactly. so many songs. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. This is, I was about to say we're talking a little bit behind the scenes here, folks. You know, we're, we're dropping hints at some of our, uh, our our attempts at finding Rodicat some new sound drops. You know, for uh, you know to to to, to uh, reflect what you know what he's representing. So, yeah, not not a lot of good stuff for South Carolina, uh, specifically South Carolina. You know, mm-hmm. you know, closest thing we got is Peter Pablo, and that's North Carolina. So just neither here nor there. But that's okay. Maybe I should get off Twitter. Um, I was about to say, at least in the genres we're looking for, you know. Yes, exactly. You know, gotta keep it, gotta keep it a, a certain type of way. But regardless, folks, uh, what's that? <laughs> so we're keeping it a hundred. There you go. Exactly. Uh, but this, this being the Comic Chronicles, you can find this here podcast on the Cold Slither Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. And every time I say U.S., I keep thinking of the toy, the movie, the toy. I don't know if you remember that movie. It's an old Richard Pryor movie, which I actually shout out because I think wasn't his birthday just recently. Uh, wasn't it the first, I believe it was. Regardless, I have, I have not watched that. Movie. Oh man, it's it's. I was about to say the deep cut. I well, yeah, that's an old ass movie because it was like late seventies, I believe. Late seventies, early eighties, one of those two. Uh, I'm not sure if it holds up too much nowadays with some of the language or whatnot but hey it was a it was a thing <laughs> or even the plot not necessarily but you know hey it is what it is but um but yeah it's like there's a character in it there's like uh jackie gleason's wife in there keeps saying uh well jackie gleason's character's name is u.s and she keeps and she's got a southern draw so she keeps saying u.s and it keeps sounding like u.s 
So, Goodness. yeah, it's kind of weird. Anyway, um, you can also find this here podcast uh, on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, which apparently just did their uh, 2020 wrapped uh, thing. If you, that is the thing that's interested, if you're interested in. Um, and also, of course, the Coastal of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And forgive us for not, get, we, we have to work on getting our Spotify feed up so that I can actually show that the Compo Chronicles is my number one podcast on my Spotify feed. Indeed. Yeah, it might be too, a little too late for this year, but, you know, since they'd already done that. Mine, I, I looked at took it up, mine, it was like a, a a whole bunch of songs that didn't even come out in 2020, which is not that big of a surprise for me, but my songs are from the nineties or eighties. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So oh, what are you going to do? Yeah. So I mean, there's a couple of, couple of, I think there's probably a couple of 2019. It was amusing regardless, but you know, we are fastly approaching the, the end of the year, which I guess I'll go ahead and say right now. Um, not only are we approaching the end of the year, we're approaching our 400th episode. Uh, what? Yep. This is episode 393 that we are recording right now. So probably a little after the beginning of the year will be um, 400. Dang. Actually, no, not even probably, but definitely. Definitely. And and now the other reason why I say that is because, one, the 400 episode is coming up. But also, we are going to actually try to do the year of the year, year, year of the uh, end of the year show that we normally do sometime, you know, right after the beginning of the, of the new year. Actually, this time. <laughs> because we didn't do it this year. <laughs> Things didn't come together. COVID kind of fucked. Well, honestly, I can't really blame COVID because normally we'd have done it well before that even happened. Mm-hmm. But it didn't help. You know. So hopefully next in the, in the beginning of the new year, we're definitely going to, we're absolutely going to. And since at least one of us has gotten our stuff done, we'll just recap what they put. In. <laughs> That's at right. the very least, That's it's like right. That's right. One of us did take care of 2019's year end. Hey, I can't imagine who that person would be. Who 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 would? Be. Oh wait, let's move this one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the, the video uh, survey says. I know, right? Which, why is my video flipped again? Because it should not be. Anyway, that's, you know, we're not going to worry about that right now. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get into some comic books. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. One last thing. Uh, we record lives every Thursday night, of course. Uh, Thursday, uh, Thursday night, 9.30ish p.m., except for last week, which was Thanksgiving. Um, actually, we should probably see what's going on. Christmas is going to be Christmas Eve, so it might be another situation like that again coming up in the next couple of weeks. So right. we'll let you know a little closer ahead of time how that's going to go. Uh, but you can definitely check us out on twitch.tv slash Chronicles. So if you're over there checking us out right now, hey, how you doing? Or youtube.com slash theclicknation. That's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N. And however you take in our podcast or video show, hit the subscribe button. Oh, <laughs> we were we were just talking about that. Um, Please you know, subscribe. The, Give us five star or four star reviews, whichever one applies. 
I mean, yeah, yeah, do all of that, you know, to, to check out the, the Twitch channel, you know, like the, the the most recent shows that we've been doing have been staying up there. We'll try to do something about, um, actually, I do have a stream I want to do on that channel um, coming up fairly soon. So hopefully stay tuned for, uh, you know, social media for that. Absolutely. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us the five star reviews. So. Yeah, definitely do that. Hook us up, help us out, all that kind of good news. Why is this not? I got a problem with Twitch sometimes. Anywho, um, so let us get into some books. And so we said we we're going to start off with uh, this week's uh, Black Widow number four. Yes. So uh, just to start things off, let me run through the creative team. This is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Elena Casagrande and Jordi Belair on colors. This is for the present day um, scenario, present day parts of the story. And Carlos Gomez on art and Federico Blee on colors for the flashbacks. Indeed, indeed. Now, I have... When we talked about this book in the past, um, I have likened it to a movie. Wait, wait, when is Long, Long Kids Goodnight? That was like 90s, right? Yeah, like late 90s. No, mid 90s, mid 90s, mid yeah. to late 90s, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Regardless, it's it's it's, it's a 90s era movie. You know, if, if uh, some of you might be younger than that movie or you Good know, <laughs> we might 96. have 96. 96. Yeah, we might actually have some fans younger younger than ninety six, or maybe not fans, but people who have watched the show who might be right. younger than ninety six. But regardless, there's I say all of that to say that there is some similar similarities to at least the last couple of issues um, uh, of this miniseries. You know, not to say that that's a terrible bad thing, you know, but if you're old enough to know what it is, you can recognize it for what it is. Uh, so if you did not know the, the, the short strokes is, um, uh, the, the first issue, Black Widow, we kind of talked about this before, so I won't really go into it. Black Widow gets kidnapped and she ends up, uh, being found in, in California with a new life and a, a husband and kid, but she's strangely, um, has not necessarily have flashes of her old life, but she, her, some of her old abilities kind of come into play. And the, let's just say that at the end of last issue, the reset button got hit on that because uh, the people who set it all up kind of got panicky. And actually, in this one, they still kind of got more panicky because now that the reset button's going to hit, she's she's aware of who she is and everything. And uh, that's pretty much going to set off the next couple of issues of this um, uh, of this book. Because I think it's five issues. I'm not sure. I, I, it seems like it. I Although think. we have to double check the um, the solicitation of the book, but in the meantime, uh, what the uh, you know what this this mini cabal had intended to do was to you know end this little uh, scenario, this farce essentially, and kill the Black Widow. But instead, it all backfired on them, yeah. and it all basically you know in tr- in trying to uh, you know uh, fry her brain, they essentially just reset. Um, you know, they basically canceled their control over her and Natasha found herself remembering everything. And we do mean everything because um, I felt like this was a really, you know, a, a, an outstanding issue 
and it filled in all of the blanks after Nat was almost killed by the implant. Nat herself fills us in with some, and this is straight from my notes, some glorious narrative exposition (laughs) of what she could recall of her captivity by this little mini cabal and, you know, how this, um, this, uh, instant nuclear family all of a sudden materialized and and as uh as um some would say at the end of this issue dematerialized exactly exactly roddy cat just jumped to the part where um i think this was the deciding factor in us starting with this book because when and talk about cliffhanger pages right yeah Talk about cliffhanger pages. We've gotten into the habit of calling these, uh, you know, these these um, these cliffhanger pages at the end of, you know, just just calling these cliffhanger pages at the end of the books, or end of stories where we're left hanging on the seat of our um, on, on on the edge of our seats, um, waiting for the next issue. Um, but in the meantime, just to, just to fill in, once Nat remembers everything, her entire backup team, which has kind of been off camera this entire time all of a sudden emerges and they extract her out of this particular scenario but they find themselves on the run and ultimately as Roddy Cat mentioned a particular problem that I guess we all saw in terms of complicating Natasha's life was resolved obviously in the script written by Kelly Thompson but ostensibly by these you know bad guys this mini cabal i was talking about before and left us with this cliffhanger page and we're all like oh snap they just did that yeah yeah exactly and that wasn't even expected it was like okay maybe they're gonna play with this a little bit now there is the other side of that talking in and that maybe by some weird miracle they that the you know what we saw is not necessarily the case i kind of doubt it Right. By some kind of crazy way. But, you know, stranger things have happened in comic books. So, you know, we'll see next issue. But I feel like at this point, like, well, not seem like that's, you know, <laughs> that kid ain't ex- the, the kid who's been um, who's been dubbed Houdini throughout the course of this issue probably didn't have to worry with all to escape what uh, what happened at the end of this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was going to go back and say something about uh, the, you were talking about how the way she explained the situation uh, to well to us and the, the person that she was talking to, which was her, her quote unquote husband. You know, was actually all almost kind of poetic in in the way you know the the way the narration was off. So yeah, I kind of enjoyed that part too. But also, it was that so it was really well done. Yeah. I haven't seen that kind of narrative exposition in a while, where we were, you know, obviously. It helped that the art was in sync with what, uh, you know, what, what Kelly Thompson was saying about, you know, well, this is what happened, you know, and then this happened and it just really illustrated it. Even though we were getting a lot of narrative exposition, we were getting a lot of words telling us what was happening. The art really did go hand in hand and really made it uh, uh, just a really interesting read. Um, and, you know, and, and as I said we get to the part where, uh, you know, we get to the cliffhanger uh, page, you know, it was a, it was a pretty enjoyable ride. I'm actually uh, probably going to go back and get the last two issues. I picked up the first two issues 
uh, for the J. Scott Campbell variant covers, but I think I'm going to try to fill in the rest of these issues for this miniseries because it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. As Roddy Cat Snickers at my uh, <laughs> uh, choice in uh, variant covers, so. I love it. I love it. Um, but you yeah, like if you like, you know? Huh? I mean, yeah. I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not not knocking it at all. It's just always it's just funny when it comes up. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much everything we need to say. If you you know if you are a fan of Black Widow, this is probably one to check out. Like it's um, I'm not sure if fun is the right word for that, especially with what happened at the end of the book. But it's um, been quite entertaining. Like whether you know about the the movie that I feel like it, this is referencing. Or not, right? Know. If not, if not, at least loosely referencing. You know, there's definitely uh, the effort to to tie in um, some of the characters that one are already in the uh, cinematic universe, and two who are about to be introduced into the cinematic universe. Right. Yeah. Which. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And this is also another. You know, as we. You know, I think I probably said when this book started, and like, yeah, she's she's got a. Um, it's another in a uh, another miniseries where you know, like we just got a movie, and either she or the the people you know that's going to be associated with this movie. Um, yeah, it's, it's got some comics books out, so right. Because that um, I think that Widowmakers that came out that I talked about like a couple of weeks ago was like a one shot, I believe. So, which had uh, Yelena in it, who shows up in this in this book, uh, and one Red Guardian, you know, who's also both were going to be in the movie. So there you go. Doubt Winter Soldier and Bucky's gonna. I mean, Doubt Winter Soldier and um, well, we know Hawkeye is because they're they're explaining um, Budapest, but you know, right, we don't know if Winter Soldier is going to be in the book because they haven't really done the legwork to do the whole, you know, con- connecting them two together in the MCU. He established them separately. Right. You know, in, in Winter Soldier. Right. Now, that's not saying that's just like, oh, yeah, so, you know, I remember there was a frozen dude in the Red Room, you know, or something like that. They could very well do that in those, but I don't know why they would at this point. <laughs> so, but regardless, that is Black Widow number four. It was a pretty good read. I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the next, uh, Next is just going to be to see if 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 that's just it, or you know, just just going to be a little bit more to it. I feel like you know that um, yeah, it's definitely a self fulfilling prophecy thanks to what the the um, the, the the villains did. You know, at the if not already at the last, at the end of the last issue, but at the end of this issue, definitely you know it's going to have them. If they weren't already, if she, she wasn't already going to come out go after them already after waking up then yeah this is definitely good setting uh setting her hot on their trail but there's only a couple more issues left and there's a a bunch of them so it's you know how they're gonna resolve that's gonna be interesting so uh move around along to another book let's say i'm just looking up right now to see uh if in the solicitations it says uh huh it says Black Widow. It doesn't say that this is a limited series. Huh. I thought it was. I thought those so too. Because we know the last one was. Because the last one was only like um, like five or six issues or whatever, however it was. And they, they hadn't necessarily been... Like even the last ongoing they gave Black Widow ended up 
ending relatively shortly. So. Oh well, yeah, like twenty plus. Yeah, twenty something issues, maybe something like that, or or not quite twenty, maybe. Yeah, I don't think it was that many, honestly. Um, it did get but, double digits. I just, I do remember that point, but. But yeah, at least in the at least in the at least in the uh, the diamond solicitations for this week, it doesn't list any um, no you know like issue uh, four of whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, don't say don't comics obviously. So maybe I mean we'll see. I mean that's not necessarily saying that it's not a miniseries, but that's also not that's not really enough information to say one way or the other, I guess. Because yeah. I feel like I remember them saying when this before this came out that this was a miniseries, but who knows. Same. Same. That's why I didn't question. That's why I was kind of surprised to see that myself in the uh, solicitations. Mm-hmm. So, hey, stay tuned. This, maybe this is another Savage Avengers uh, uh, situation. Although, at least, well, we still don't know when that's actually ending. And actually, that came out this week. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Uh, so, let's get to another book from this week. Um, did you read Death Fantasy Four? I did not, but if you want to talk about it, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'll 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 save that for rabbit. It's yeah, it is what it is. Let's do um. Let's go ahead and get the X stuff out of the way. Actually, um. So let's go to Hellions number seven. Um, um. It, just very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, it's by Zeb Wells with art by Steven Segovia and colors by David Curiel. Thank you. So yeah, we are moving past um, uh, uh, Ten of Swords because that was last week. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, you know, there's as almost say, uh, not necessarily fallout, but of course they got to deal with you know things that that have happened in the event. Uh, you know, people that got killed or whatever the case may be. And these two issues, Hellions number seven and X-Factor number five, seem to be doing, taking care of that. I don't know if there are going to be any other um, issues of any other X-Books. That's, I mean, probably X-Men is probably going to be like, you know, hey, here's the, what the Quiet part, the quiet Council's part in this or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I, I would reckon that these this month's books is pretty much going to be, you know, uh, kind of uh, putting everything back to back to normal, I guess, just, you know, um, as far as their lives are concerned, you know, uh, everything that happened in the event happened, you know, people, people died, people came back, you know, so to, got a new addition to somebody got a new addition to their family. Uh, oh, that's probably going to bear out in, in this month's book. So in Hellions number seven, we start off with, um, <laughs> Mr. Senator, or I guess we could say, uh, Technically, a clone of Mister. We don't even know who, which, who's the real clone or not. But we know he's got other clones of him. But, um, um, but basically, Sinister's <laughs> crying, his bawling his eyes out. You know, p- putting up a show to the Quiet Council um, about uh, the the loss of his team, which, as we all know, he had a hand in the the biggest hand in coming out of uh, Araco. Um. And we come to find out between this and and the uh, the the next uh, uh, issue that we're going to talk about with X Factor Number Five that you know those people are back but changed. Um, 
but uh, the as far as the Hellions are concerned, you know, the, some of the members that got killed over in either over the world or Rocco came back changed a little more, as they say in here, focused. Um, with the exception of one, so Wild Child who got killed over there and Nanny got killed over there, they came back and they're they've got a not necessarily a redesign, but they've been, I guess, updated. <laughs> And like maybe improved. That's one of the funny things that came yes. up in the story is that the term that they used was honed. Yes. You know, with uh, with some of the unnecessary parts of their personalities stripped away and really taking them to um, the peak of their powers. And it's an interesting way to see both Nanny uh, and, uh, and Wild Child. Right. Because I believe both of those characters, I know Nanny for sure is is a product of the '90s. Definitely. Um, and wow, excuse I say I should say Nanny and Orphan Maker, who they they, they discuss because that's pretty much going into the next mission uh, that they do in this uh, issue. But um, uh, Wild Child, I'm not too sure about him. I'm assuming the same thing though. What? That he's like a product of the 90s? Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, he's a product of the Age of Apocalypse era. Mm. Before that, too. Gotcha. Um, just before Age of Apocalypse. He was a product of, um, I believe, uh, X-Force. Because Wildchild was, I think, one of the uh, characters that came out of that whole rush of character creation around Rob Liefeld um, and Louis Simonson kind of creating X-Force out of New Mutants. Sure. So um, what I was going to mention, speaking of 90s characters, speaking of 90s characters, another 90s character shows his head. I'm not sure if this is for the first time in a long time. I did not do the research, hmm. but I'm shocked to see this name pop up again on the cliffhanger page at the end of the issue. Um, Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm like, Roddy Cat's I'm like wait, what? who are you talking about? Because well, what I have it in my notes, I basically said, is like, oh, look, another old ex-event playmate <laughs> shows up, which that'll, that should give you some kind of hint, not necessarily the fullest hint. But, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see that character showing up, too. But then again, after the last arc, um, when this book started, I can't say I'm surprised. Given the first arc, but yeah, so going through the the rest of the issue in, in the short strokes is that, um, like I said, they we, they talk about you know, they 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 basically talk about hey yeah everybody that's died to come back and the people that came back the the you know the folks that died when they came back to uh, Krakoa they're fine. Um, There's that whole conversation with Emma and Alex, which I'm assuming is going to come up somewhere else. But the 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 focus was you know the the characters that uh that died while over in either Oracle or other world which was um wild child orphan maker and nanny and of course we just talked about uh wild child and nanny but the other part of that which has this uh which the the team is the team's next mission is going to be apparently and i did not know like i remember nanny and orphan maker from like x-factor um, and I don't remember, I even forgot he was actually mutant. That's why I was like, when, even when he showed up, I was like, I don't think it was very clear right? from the beginning. I don't think it was very clear at all. And if I'm not, mis- if I'm not mistaken, we actually questioned his inclusion in 
and Nanny's inclusion in the X stories exactly. as the books were being solicited and announced at the, um, at, uh, at the beginning of Dawn of X right. when Helly was initially announced. So this, I think, is a revelation to all of the all, all of the readers mm-hmm. in that uh, both Nanny and Orphan Maker are mutants. Right. So, so but yeah, yeah, and I'm, I was going to do the the legwork and go back and and you know do a little research on that, but I but I, I was like I did not do that before now, so it doesn't it relatively doesn't matter. But regardless, apparently uh, with Orphan Maker's X gene will mess the world up. So uh, they still have him in stasis because of the uh, resurrection protocols. Right. Um, and it, and it, and we find out here that, um, and I believe I do remember this part because from X Factor or whatever is like if his suit gets cracked, that's a pro- there's a problem. But um, but yeah, so the team, so ba- they basically say that well, the they can't uh, they can't resurrect him until the, that problem gets dealt with, and apparently they got to go find Nanny Ship, who is. Which I guess we should have, now that I think about it, we should have probably known, had some semblance of what's going to happen, what was going to ha- come up at the end of the book. Because they said that, uh, well, Nanny Ship is in the custody of the right, which is an old, uh, you know, um, ex, ex-villain uh, group. Uh, and that the team is going to go and get the ship so that they can make uh, or make a new armor so that you know the world doesn't get messed up once he gets uh, once he gets resuscitated. Uh, so the team halfway through this, after that, you know, after this happens, they um, get this mission from Sinister. But of course, being Sinister, being the only one technically alive. Even though his, even though that's a clone and not necessarily him, because he it died um, also, um, like when they when they came back. But uh, the the rest of the team is like, well, we don't know how he died, and since it's not so, so since not really you know telling them. So when they get the mission briefing, they're like, uh, so what happened? And he's being KG, but then Psylocke's like, all right, look, we're going on this mission because she has a, a thing of her own. Which I'm trying to remember if this part that shows up. That, that they talk about was discussed before. I know her and Sinister had some sort of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I don't remember uh, going well, into that first arc. I, I want to say this is connected to the Fallen Angels book. Possibly. I thought about that too, but I was like, yeah, because I do remember whatever uh, whatever happened here with her and her daughter, and there was some stuff in that book about it. And um, I would assume somewhere in the first arc, or at least in the first co- first couple of issues, or the first issue of uh, Hellions, that that's when this deal of theirs or whatever have you got struck. So, you know, Psylocke has her, her own agenda as to why she's, you know, following Sinister up, despite Sinister not being trustworthy, and people, you know, everybody knows something possibly happened to them that Sinister is involved with uh, coming out of the Iraqo situation. Which I was gonna also say that uh, going back to like yeah this was a I think we've also said it before with uh, Ten of Swords like this was a perfect opportunity to kind of um, I guess kill off and resuscitate uh, some characters with new you know up to dated or you know you know clean them up a little bit I guess so a little yeah so this is kind of them doing a little bit of that in um, with the couple members of this team. Uh, I'm trying to remember if we don't hear about uh, this in this or if it's X Factor where we hear. I know we hear about a couple other people in X Factor. 
Um, so I don't know if you have anything else to say about this, or we can push on to that. Oh, we can. I was about to say we can move on. Um, you know, we, we're just going to keep finding out about some, you know, some of the other effects of dying in a menth and or Arako had. So right. we will continue to see that play out um, in the aftermath of Ten of Swords. But we can move on to the other X book of the week, which is X Factor number five. It's written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion and colors by Israel Silva. Uh, this actually picks up where we left off before Ten of Swords with the team establishing the cause of death of Wind Dancer so she could be resurrected um, in really, really broad strokes because there's a lot going on in this issue. Yeah. There are several interesting character developments in this issue. Uh, not just uh, not just for the team members of uh, X Factor, but also for just several of the the the, the uh, mutants that are living on Krakoa right now. And the issue actually ends with another mystery placed into uh, X Factor's hands. So right. uh, we're coming right off of that initial opening arc, interrupted only briefly. I believe X Factor only had one Ten of Swords crossover issue, so we're all, we're right back to where we were uh, prior to Ten of Swords. So right. uh, interruption was minimal, and anyone who decries the fact that crossovers tend to interrupt ongoing stories and they do, it's not that big a deal in this case. No, in, in fact, cases it is not in this one. Right, because even in fact in this one, like even in that ex of uh, that Ten of Swords book, the pretty much the crux of that issue was restated here in a in a throwaway line, mm-hmm. because that was the issue where they were talking about what happened to to Rockslide at the you know this was near the beginning of uh, Ten of Swords, and they were talking about that, which that comes up again, you know, uh, in this issue because you know they they spent a, a little bit of time talking about that. Because there was some interruption, so they basically go from like you, like uh, Agent Seventy said. Well, yeah, it pretty much picks up at the end of the mission, but also kind of pretty much catches the book up with what happened after, you know, the, with the goings on of the resurrection protocols, you know, after um, or during uh, uh, Ten of Swords. So you definitely get a lot of dialogue with that, uh, with that in mind. Um. Yeah, that's not necessarily much more to say. To, like there was that there definitely, like you know, us, the, the the you know the chat with Emma and and Danny was a thing, which I thought that was kind of weird because like why is that happening in this book? But at the same time, all of the X books are kind of shared, so mm-hmm. it, none of that actually matters. Or kind of like it used to be in the matter. I mean, it, back in the nineties, because a lot of like times so, like like there's a bunch of X Men and they um you know doing things in the New Mutants book or you know. You know, some kind of um, variation there in, in during the course of any of the books, with the exception of X Factor in the beginning. But you know that ended up changing, uh, at least in the original run. But there was like I said, the throwaway line about how uh, Gorgon's back, but now different or acting right. strange. So I'm assuming we're going to see what's going on with that in another issue if they plan on, or another issue of, of one of the other books if they plan on doing that. Exactly. That's I guess that's the remain. I mean, that's the primary. Uh, that, that was the primary casualty in the duels. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to find out, I guess, in one of the other books or this book. So Right. Oh, yeah. Or if that's just it. I was like, oh, here you go. He's back and that's it. And let go. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much a question. The only thing I had a question about was, do you know who that kid was that um, that uh, Rachel and I were talking to? Talking about he had Which- the, uh, the acoustic kinesis. 
Because I thought it was kind of a, I thought that was like a random insert. That's why I was mentioning um, a whole host of kind of random character developments, right? Because I had a feeling that that character is going is going to come back and play some role, but that was just so random that right. It seemed as though, you know, we don't know where this particular mutant comes from. We don't know if it's a resurrection. We don't know if it's someone who's been brought in via the Marauders. Um, we don't know. Right. So it, it was just it was just a, a very um, odd kind of drop in. But, you know, they they de- they tend not to be uh, left alone like that. I think this character is going to come back at some point. Right. Yeah. They, they they basically use these these two. Like I said earlier, these YouTubers to say, "Hey, everything's starting to get back to the normal." But I, I would imagine there's still going to be a little bit more of that in the rest of the books from this month. But that part was the only part was like like you said, it was kind of kind of random because this whole book was like, "Hey, you know, things for X Factor is kind of getting back to normal." And and I, even I was like, "Well, wait, are they going to get through another case or anything? Are they just going to use this issue to kind of say, hey, everything back to on everything on core is kind of back to normal?'" Which most of the thing was, and you know, you see, you know, the the various group members doing different things and people talking, and you know, you see the layout of which I thought we had before the layout of the where the uh, where X Factor stay in now, and you know, all of that kind of the, mess. Call it the Boneyard. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of a tough name for a place where everyone is dwelling, but um, in any event, yeah, it seems uh, kind of ominous. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that's so, that's so, you know, a, a weird name. But yep. in, in any case, though, uh, we get to the end of the issue, and uh, as Agent Seventy said, we get to their uh, X Factor's next memory, uh, next uh, mission. Which, if you know, like us, we and I think we've kind of talked about it, but I still won't go into it. Uh, we kind of talked about it in passing because of solicits and whatnot. Uh, what happens? What's the next case going to be? Right. So. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. So, President Bartlett. What's next? What is next indeed? Um, Miles Morales. How about? And sure. we we'll do maybe one more and then do, do wrap it? All right. Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 21. And you got a, you got a, a creative team for us? The credits. So uh, this book is written by Saladin Ahmed with pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Wayne Foucher, and colors by David Curiel. What'd you think of the issue? I enjoyed it. Um, so I read this and the last issue back to back. I think it probably would have read better for me if I had done that. I, and I think it does service, service well by doing that. So um, last issue, there was a well, this issue and last year's are pretty much the well. This is definitely the conclusion of that whole ultimatum thing. Uh, last issue was um, Captain America kind of coming into the fold, and uh, um, uh, and Miles and the Prowler getting away from Ultimatum and the Goblins and the Goblins, which also seemed kind of familiar uh, in a way to another book from this week, or uh, uh, which uh, again I could probably get to, but. Um, there was a plot by Ultimatum and the, the Green Goblin to turn folks into goblins using a drug. Uh, and that bore out like last issue when so the whole bunch of people turned into goblins and, and went after uh, Miles and the uh, the Prowler, who is his uncle Aaron. Uh, and that whole fight carried through that issue into this one, 
where you know we see Captain America like comes comes in and play a little bit more of a part with uh, with the fight, but also um, a couple of people who technically probably shouldn't be around, but the time frame of this book is well should be around, but in a different place. Uh, in another book from this week, uh, I was about to say three of them. Let's let's just let's even well, yeah. the lead character. The lead character shouldn't be here. You're right. On- this happens. So. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, given given what happens in another book, we'll talk about probably briefly in a little bit. But um, so Bombshell and Starling show up, and they add to the battle. And I do like I, said, I really enjoyed it because that whole battle thing, and you know everything, everybody kind of coming together as a kind of team, and Captain America just kind of being a team player in this one, not taking the lead, and and uh, Miles is dead, you know, rolling in. Which I thought that part was kind of funny. I can't remember if that was no, that was this issue I think where um. Uh, Gonki and them. I don't know if Gonki knew, but the the the, the friends that were with um, like it was like it was Barbara and them. It was Barbara Gonki and uh, Judge whoever was in the Captain America's car. Which I from last issue I did not know Captain America would could could drive. Many uh, I mean we know he drives like sky cycles and stuff like that. But seeing him driving a car, even though that was a hovercraft or whatever, case, but still it's kind of weird to see because you know you rarely ever see him actually driving. So that was a weird thing from last is- issue from that was kind of fun to see. But regardless, um, I was about to drive a van for a lot of years. So, so yeah, there's that too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> was, I totally forgot that about was, that. That was the Grunewald era. So that was a long time ago. Right. Um, that was when he drove a, a punisher drove the van, drove a van. Well, yeah, long... we remember that one. But yeah, that was, that was you know that's a kind of an iconic mm-hmm. for the for the for the Punisher. But yeah, Cap, but like you know. I said, it's not something that we see Cap doing a lot. Um, I know Roddy Cat was about to get to this, but I but it's really the one main note that I had, mm-hmm. which is a plot point from the Into the Spider Verse movie is introduced. That's going to lead Miles' story going forward for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So there was let's just say there's a familiar note that happens at the end of this issue with a character that was just mentioned um, at the conclude. Well, to to conclude the battle at hand, I guess you could say, um, mm-hmm. which, which leaves Miles in a place. Excuse me, but yeah, overall, like the, the the issue was pretty good. The fight was, you know, the art was great. The the fight was well done. Everybody coming together like they did was. Um, pretty good i think like and like i was saying i think we it was either this issue or last issue where you know uh some of Bowser's friends found out that uh Bowser's dad was a secret agent with shield which, mm-hmm. which was not a known fact for a lot of people and i'm kind of wondering if, well they weren't around it's like the way the end of this issue is you find out i'm like i wonder if more people know of his secret identity in a way the way it kind of played out it, the way it had to play out in, 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 over the, the course of the last several issues. Yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see uh, a summary of the number of people that do know, but I think the number has grown substantially mm-hmm. over the last several issues, I think, or at least in this run of the, of the book, of, of his title. Right. You know, it expanded beyond Gonky and the roommate. Right. Wait, so, so the, the roommate does know? Yeah, I thought the roommate knew. Oh, I didn't know. I I didn't pick up on that. Afro? If you did, the kid with the afro, right? Right, Judge. Yeah, no, I don't. I didn't think he knew. I thought it was no, just Gunky. Sure, he he's known for a while. Mm, okay, yeah, like maybe I didn't pick up on that early on. So, 
Right. I mean, that, that's that, that's what my memory says. I could be mistaken, but it's my understanding, or at least my impression, that he's known for for a bit of time. So, right. I feel but like Barbara. Again, I feel like Barbara has an idea, but she just she's you know that's that's still not a thing that's played out because even right. early was, on in this volume of the issue, there there was some kind of playing around with that. Right. Or what I was going to add is. But remember, our sense of time has gone away over the course of the pandemic. So, I mean, that is also uh, true. It's hard to remember when a lot of these things uh, we learned actually happened. But right. Um, all right. Uh, anything else on Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 21? No, that was pr- pretty much it. It was like, you know, a little bit of a somber note to end that on, on, this, uh, on this particular arc. But um, it's, a, it's a good read, though gonna add it's not the exact note from into the spider-verse but it's a similar note it's a story so, it's, a, it's a it's a beat that happens in the in the course of that's a pretty yeah, it's big a thing point yeah you know? it's a plot point it's not exactly the same beat but it's a plot point um to lead miles in a certain direction so right all right uh let's see what you read to see much next you know what I want to talk about before we go into rapid fire? Sure. Modoc Head Games number one. Yes. All right, bet. So this is a wacky, wacky book. It is an actual potential click of the week for me. Hmm. This book is co-written by Jordan Blum and Patton Oswalt of television and stand-up comedy fame. Um, who is also art- playing? Who is also going to be playing Modoc in the animated series that is coming up? Which is probably which is basically why this book exists. I was about to say, I believe this is also the same writing team for yes. the uh, animated series as well. I believe so. Uh, the art is by Scott Hepburn and uh, colors by Carlos Lopez. Um, in broad strokes, Monica Rappuccini. Is that her name, Rappuccini? I thought, yes, I, that's right. I, I didn't want to like call her Frappuccino by accident. <laughs> And the Scientist Supreme of AIM are plotting against a MODOK, possibly hacking into his systems. And it plays out over the course of all sorts of great scenes, just yeah. really, really well done scenes, including an homage to Wolverine from the Dark Phoenix saga. Did you see that? I must have missed that one. I, I'll point it out to you while you uh, while you talk about it, because you know me, I talk broad strokes. Mm. Um Modoc goes to a somewhat unexpected source for help at the end of the issue. Um, your thoughts on the issue while I look this up and um, see if we can't see if I can't point it out to you. So yeah, uh, I I also enjoyed this issue. Um, the, I guess a couple of side notes is that I never cared about Modoc's actual name up until, or even thought he even had a name up until Marvel's Adventures. The, the video game that just came out this, this past year. You mean like his? Uh, you mean like his human his name? His human name. Yeah. Oh, you know. Oh, okay. I mean, I had, I had heard. I mean, listen. I, you know me. I obsessively read the old hot movie as a kid, so I, mean, I probably I did too. Read but his name right. Know? Like I did too, but it was like at this draw blank. I was like, no, it's just Modoc. It was like I didn't care what is you know what is what he has a human name. Who, who even cares? But up until they, it's come out in that, and even and they even you know mention it here. Um, I never really thought about it or even cared about his, his, his name. But regardless, yeah, the whole thing with... Oh, the other thing I was going to say was, like, at the beginning of the book, we get a a, a, a callback to... Which actually kind of has something to do with who he goes... Technically has something to do with who he goes to help get help from. Because um, 
and also that uh, this story kind of has some familiar, has a slightly familiar beat with what's uh, a couple of that uh, thing that's been going on in Doctor Doom, um, at least at the, the beginning of that book, because you you know, uh, Modok's kind of dreaming, and he's a robot, so he doesn't really, or he's a, a cyborg, so he doesn't dream. So that's part really plays into the fact that what agent 70 is talking about with, um, with the plot against him and whatever Monica Rappuccini did to him to cause this to happen. Uh, but he's still him. And you see the whole thing is being, you know, his whole internal monologue as all of this is going on, you know, and they're trying to get rid of them. But at the beginning of the book, we see guardsmen, which we haven't, I don't know when the last time we've seen guardsmen, in the pages of a Marvel book. So if you had Iron Man book from many, many moons ago, exactly. Which again, that also plays into uh, what happens at the beginning of the books, because I think they're trying to rob uh, a stock industries train or something like that. Uh, And there's a bunch of guardsmen that show up to, 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 to go against them. But that whole plan goes, goes away. And I was like, dang, I haven't seen guardsmen in a minute. That was, that was a interesting, um, that was a interesting pull, you know, and it's been a year full of them, so it's you know that one's kind of thing. But regardless, during the whole course of the whole book, you know, just to kind of show stroke it a little bit more, um, you know, the inner workings of uh, of uh, Modak's brain and the things that happened between uh, him and Monica Rappuccini it was was kind of a fun little fight, and you seeing her get the the Hulk arm and that kind of good mess, and going into the end of the uh, issue where he goes to seek out help for what's going on in his brain from, as Agent 70 said, the, the most unlikely source that um, kind of has something to do with the, the beginning of the book. So here's what I was referencing. If, okay. Uh, if uh, this is a good point. And I'm not going to get in trouble because I'm not showing the entire page. I'm just showing a panel with some glare. Right? So you recognize this, right? He gets knocked into the basement, into the armory? Yes. Oh, right. And then there's a bunch of weapons down. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So he says, you know, you took your best shot. Now it shall be Modoc's turn. And, you know, he's been knocked through the several floors into the basement. And I guess you have to be a certain fan to recognize from Uncanny X-Men 132. I know this because I've read this a million times. This is one of the holes in my Uncanny X-Men collection. This John Byrne panel, after Wolverine gets knocked through the floor into the sewer, uh, not through the oh, floors yeah. of the Hellfire Club. Underneath the Hellfire Club, yes. Okay, see, I didn't, I didn't put that together. Good, good, good deal. Yeah, it's a visual cue. Right. It's a visual cue. So if you know, like, uh, it's it's um, it's been well established over the course of uh, our almost four hundred episodes is that I have a visual memory for a lot of these comic book images. So it was nice to see that um, the artist on uh, on on, on Modoc, uh, Scott Hepburn, and probably um, Jordan Blum and Pat Oswalt had something to do with uh, a callback to this particular image. Yeah, and I guess you could say even the image above that, that image that you were talking about, is, is also... Um a reference to that the way the way it's laid out yes definitely so definitely. yeah that's a, oh, okay dang i didn't even pick up on that that's pretty damn good <laughs> <laughs> uh 
But, so yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I really enjoyed this book. It's a surprise candidate for Click of the Week for me. Yeah, I I, I would second that definitely. Even like so that whole fight with uh with uh Modok and you know surprisingly enough, you wouldn't think Modok is you know obviously back in the day Modok was a was a a bigger deal uh in certain lengths than he has been in say the last decade or two because he's been mostly played off for jokes right. a, a lot of times but they they play him in this um more form- formidable than i expected them to because honestly especially with the writing team i was thinking that they were kind of going more jokey jokey manner with this but no nah, they this definitely is... they definitely kept it kind of light but at the same time they they made his um his 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 acronym name they they treated that very lightly even right. though we know that he's literally killing people in this issue so right so yeah um it's definitely a a, a good good read i was uh, thoroughly surprised by that actually <laughs> i shouldn't be but you know sometimes with these books with this kind of you know this this kind of thing you, you never really know especially if it's something that's you know tied to um, um, film or TV, film or TV that's coming up, yeah. So, that being the case, uh, unless you got something else, no, 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 I'm more than ready to uh spin it up because we've got a lot of books to go through, and there's actually a lot of news post Thanksgiving, so yeah, cool, hit it, spinning it up. <laughs> Rapid fire. Visualize a nice little graphic right here at some point of, of, you know, we don't have it. We haven't had one, but still, you know, just visualize that real quick. Anyway, even if you're in audio, theater of the mind, folks. All right. Rapid fire. You want to go or you want me to go? Sure, sure. Because I think we have a lot of books in common, so mm-hmm. I will uh, lead. Uh, Atlantis Attacks number five is written by Greg Pak with art by Robert Gill and Ario Enendito. Um, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Um, I thought this was an interesting end to the miniseries. I was actually personally disappointed at what happened to Mike Nguyen, uh, the head of, you know, the, the, the person behind uh, um, uh, creating Pan. Uh, Pan remains as a new place for adventures in Asia that doesn't really exist, much like Madripoor. Um, the book segues directly into the Submariner limited series tied to King and Black. And this is where I say boo, because I felt like this whole issue was pretty much in service of doing just that. Like, because there was a whole lot of talk about kings, and I was like, all right, we know this is coming up. Is that really what they're doing with this? And, I, yeah, I I was actually kind of surprised about the uh, Mike Gwynn thing. Like, I'm surprised mm-hmm. they actually got, I guess, got rid of him. Right. Um... That feels a little, little cut and dry also on that part, but it, it is what it is. Who knows? Maybe there's something we missed and there's something else that's probably going to happen and maybe he'll come back to someplace else. Or maybe he was just in service of just doing this. Maybe. But he seemed like a really modern villain. And I thought that uh, based on what he was capable of and what he ended up doing to Amadeus right. uh, with, you know, with just a device that he stuck on his chest – I thought that he might remain as like a um, a potential bad guy, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm. And that might be the case. We just don't know. Right. If they do, like, it, it's something that either happened that we don't know about or happened somewhere else that, you know, that or in one of the past issues that will probably come up somewhere else. I, I kind of doubt it, though, the way this, is, this ended up. But who knows? 
Otherwise, right. that I was kind of like boo. And I'm like, yeah, it did it, it, and it's going into King of Black, and who? All right, cool. Right, and it's focusing on the original Agents of Atlas as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, see, I mean, we'll probably keep up with it uh, through our review copies, but uh, I don't know if I'll be pulling these books at all. Yeah, um, up is Champions number three, written by E. Viewing, uh, with art by Bob Quinn and colors by Federico Blee. So Spidey, Ms. Marvel, and Nova, and Ironheart are on the run. Uh, Vision gets some life advice from a stranger she helps. Uh, the remaining champions are held against their will by Cradle, and they try to bust out to no avail. Um, there apparently might be some form of control being exerted on Bombshell that everyone suspects. Um, uh, at least everyone who's uh, in Cradle custody suspects. Uh, lastly, a formerly time-displaced member of the champions steps in when all seems lost for those champions on the run. That was a great entrance. I love that. Yes, that was so that was so good. I was like, oh, I did not expect that to happen. But he was like, bloop, bloop, here you go. Here's this person. Be like, hey, hold up. <laughs> it, it, it honestly came out of nowhere, and I was honestly very, very surprised. Yeah. So so well done with that, and we will see uh, what happens with that next uh, next issue. I really don't have much else to add. Um, I don't think I have anything in my notes that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't really have anything else. Go ahead. All right, next up is Daredevil number twenty five. This is a potential click of the week for me. It's written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Marco Cicchetto and colors by Marcio Menez or Menez. Uh, there's an interesting character turn in the making in this book. It seems that Zadarsky is taking the story in a direction I did not expect at all once a Daredevil's conflict with the law is seemingly resolved. So over the course of 25 issues, I did not expect to see this happening. Zadarsky has been on a pretty effective run over these 25 issues. I did not expect to see this character turn at all. So, I give him credit for that, but I, I'm hesitant to see how long this lasts. So you'll probably see some uh, some new stories about this issue selling out uh, at comic book stores. But um, who knows? You know, and that's a part of the mini speculator boom that we're experiencing right now. But at the end of the day, we will see how we you know we'll just have to wait and see how long this particular character turn or twist. Uh, lasts. Next up is King in Black number one. This is actually the big event book uh, event that's kicking off this week. It's written by Donnie Cates with pencils by Ryan Stegman, whose name I can type correctly in our show notes. His name is not Rhina, it's Ryan. Uh, with inks by J.P. Mayer and colors by Frank Martin. Well, this issue definitely establishes that Null is a force to be reckoned with. Cates does a good job of establishing some of the things readers would be asking, except for what Captain Marvel's actually doing. Um, Cates and Stegman definitely established some wow factor by showing just what this heretofore unknown elder god is capable of. So I give them credit for that. I know that neither Roddy Cat um, nor myself are all were all that interested in following the events of the Venom book. But this is um, an event that's stretching across the entirety of the Marvel universe. So I'll be, mo- you know, I, I will at least be monitoring the main 
uh, limited series um, through our review copies. So um, stay tuned for uh, for what happens next in that book. And you will hear me grouse about the fact that some of my favorite books are being interrupted because of this stupid event. Actually, it's probably <laughs> not a stupid event. It, it might actually be pretty good, but I, it, it doesn't seem like going into it might be my cup of tea. I'll just put it that right. way. Next up is Thor number 10. This is another potential click of the week for me. This is awesome. Written by Donny Cates, art by Nick Klein, and colors by Matt Wilson. Donald Blake, with the powers of the mighty Thor, essentially, he absorbs power wherever he goes. You will be shocked. Roddy Cat, you will be shocked to see what happens in this issue. It is uh, astounding. And he's also using a scalpel with literal surgical precision. I can't describe what happens in this issue without spoiling it. And just it's 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 on the graphic side. Honestly, uh, this is ten issues in. I think you have time to um, at least catch up on the last several issues that involve Donald Blake. You know, so that you understand how we are where we are. You know, that explain where Donald Blake has been all this time. And you can jump on there so that you can really get the full breadth of this story. So I'm recommending this book to Roddy Cat right now. Does Led Zeppelin or whoever uh, happened to be played uh, while, while Donald Blake is doing his thing? No, 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 no. It's too, it's, trust me, when you see, when, when you, when you see how it's depicted, you'll understand why I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a little shook. Not exactly a halfway crook at this point, but definitely shook. Nice. Okay. Uh, next up is Batman number one hundred four. Um, it's written by James Tinney in the fourth, with art by Ryan Benjamin, Danny Mickey, Bengal, and Gillam March, with colors by David Barron. Uh, Batman, Clown Hunter, and Harley Quinn are held by the Ghostmaker. Nightwing relays the one time he and Batman encountered the Ghostmaker earlier in their careers. Um, it's actually a pretty entertaining story, and it leaves us on a pretty interesting cliffhanger. Um, you know, it's it, it's um, you know, it, it's definitely drama. You know, it's it's definitely artificial drama that's created by um, the Ghostmaker. Um, you know, for, you know, for this particular, um, sequence, but it, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, it's, you know, it it was pretty dramatic and pretty entertaining. So, um, you know, not, not, uh, not all that, uh, uh, whatchamacallit. Um, it's not, it's not all that uh, surprising that, um, you know, that they're able to pull this off given the character's uh, history, you know, and connections of Batman. Um, not a potential click of the week is Batman Catwoman number one written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann and colors by Tomo, Tomo uh, Mori. This is a black label book. Um, we're following up on uh, Tom King's Batman Catwoman story from the main Batman title. Uh, we seem to be following separate timelines, but without the aid of knowing what timeline we're following. One of the reasons why that Jason Aaron's Thor God of Thunder worked so well was that we knew exactly which version of Thor we were following. At some point, I expect these stories to connect here in the, in the Batman Catwoman book. Um, believe it or not, we also get 
Andrea Beaumont, the Phantasm, from Batman the Animated Series. Or Batman, uh, one of the Batman animated movies. Actually, well, that was one of the first ones. Yeah. Mask of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. And that is it for me. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah, for people that don't remember, yeah, that the, the Tom King's uh, run of Batman got got, let's say, interrupted by irate, stupid ass fans who didn't like the the um the the whole relationship thing, and so they split off this the book into this and you know, and they went with uh like wait is that that's what Tinian's writing right? Yep. Yeah, what Tinian's writing right now, so because I think. Uh, Tom King had this whole big ass arc, and that had to do with the relationship with Nara Khan's good best. And yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so I guess. Um, so we get to my books, and we go with Savage Avengers number fifteen, which I, I mentioned earlier, um, because like I said, there was a similar plot. That, um, to what was going on in Mars uh, in Miles's book that kind of goes on here. Uh, and my notes say, uh, I see that the Punisher gets, did get recruited um, uh, after all. Half of the crew goes to liberate a drug lord's house that was taken over by one of Kulan Greth's uh, priests. Uh, this also had to do with some um, folks getting turned into monsters, Cthulhu-esque monsters by way of drugs, uh, which was part of uh, Kulan Greth's uh, uh, master plan. But um, I'm guessing these cultists don't count as humans for, for Wolverine as the crew kind of goes and pretty much kills everybody or, or a lot of people to get to the priest. Um, and uh, they deal with this this person in not the way you would think, but it was, I guess, if it had played out on a screen somewhere, it would be kind of gruesome, let's just say. <laughs> um, meanwhile, hey, I, through, I flipped through this book. Mm-hmm. Um I definitely dug uh, how uh, Zercher, Patrick Zercher, the um, the artist, portrayed the the, the, the ploy that uh, that the Savage event that one half of the Savage Avengers team uses to break into the drug lord's house. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah, I was just really. And then um, uh, what you want to call it? Because because these guys are human. You know, they haven't been transformed, so they are susceptible. Right, and, most uh, of the acolytes. Right, yeah. So I got a kick out of that. And of course, it wasn't even necessary. I just sort of laughed. <laughs> yes, that part was uh, was pretty good. It was like, you know, one member of the team using using her assets that uh, and that another teammate just didn't necessarily need to, uh, right. and <laughs> to do what they needed takes to do. A shot, and that teammate takes a shot at uh, another former uh, colleague of both of theirs. Yes. Yeah, I, I did notice that. I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> that was kind of funny, though." But yeah, I I enjoyed this issue. Um, but at the outset of this, uh, we we see, which is also kind of funny because you see, um, you know, Wolverine is in here, and you know, do a lot of, of course, a lot of his battles end up uh, with him losing a lot of his clothes. So, but he ends up with a new set of clothes that, um, I guess, kind of fitting for him, but not really. Um, so I'm really going to be interested in what uh, the rest of the team is going to say about that when they all get back together again. But meanwhile, speaking of the other crew, um, the other crew that was fighting the dragon uh, seems not to be going as well as it had started in from last issue. 
So, and I guess we'll catch up with that in the next issue. And I guess maybe this book is going to 17. Cause I, like I said, we, we figured like we had some idea that this book was ending. Um, but we're not quite sure when, but you know, stay tuned for how that goes. Anyway, next up, uh, let's see what we got. Fantastic four road trip. Number one. So this is a one shot. Uh, Reed takes the family minus sky. Cause I'm not entirely sure when this is fully set. Um, well, I guess we kind of do know when it's set because there are some references to something. But anyway, um, retakes the family, minus guy to the Grand Canyon. But of course, he's there to check out some spores from a cosmic meteorite, which happened to be from um, the aforementioned and aforementioned place from a person's come from. And of course, it goes sideways like you would expect. And they all start tripping and things happen. And uh, we find out who uh, who is behind the thing. And it turns out this person is pretty much uses uh Reed's let's just say uses Reed's curiosity to get to try to get the better of the whole family. Um, and the only other thing to say that is like the art kind of fits the trippiness of uh, this uh, one and done adventure. This one, uh, I know this was in the solicitors or whatever that says something about a lot of body horror, and some of that does definitely play in, in this um, issue, especially in the resolution of. Uh, what's what's going on with the team? So you know, if you're a little, uh, I would say if you're, it's not, it's it's kind of weird. That's all I'm going to say. So it's it's very weird. So if that is the thing that kind of makes you go a little leash, then maybe not. But you can see from, I guess, if the cover doesn't 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 uh, mesh with you a little bit, you'll probably be fine. Uh, let's see. That one. Last but not least, Far Sector number nine. So Joe tries some hol- holographic food while inquiring about City Enduring City Enduring's dark web and its connection to the switch off drug. Uh, she goes to check out another lead that a counselor told her about. Um. Uh, and there's all. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a, a Star Wars looking speeder that shows up in here, which is a, has an amu- She has an amusing movement on. Uh, but uh, she ends up infiltrating a hidden psych ward type facility that does that's a meme factory generator at the end of this book. So because she's pretty much trying to find out, uh, you know, what's going on in the underbelly of this uh, place where she's she's found herself this whole uh, series. Especially after, um, you know, someone got murdered and there were some 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 uh, leftover strings to to uh to attach to it, which is why she was doing all of this. Because this continues to be a, a good book. Um, the art's great on this one. You know, it's um, I've been enjoying it, so it's definitely worth the checking checking out. Um, I don't know if Joe is ever going. So Joe is a Green Lantern, if y'all did not know, and she's like off in some well, 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 um, in the deep reaches of space. So this has nothing to do with Earth. Um, and I don't know if they're ever going to incorporate her into, you know, with the rest of the, the DC heroes or not. But so far, it's it's good by itself. That's all I can say. And that uh, is it for me. Now we can go to clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. And uh, we got a couple already from our absent. Uh, partners in crime here first one is 
starts with Batman 104. He says that um, retconning, uh, re- yeah, retconning in a new training partner for, from Bruce's past is dumb, but the story is actually pretty good. Um, it's it, it's a weird character, but as as Jared said, it, you know the the way uh, Tinian is inserting him and using him to um, to reflect Batman and to reflect Bruce. Hmm. Uh, is interesting, especially the quandary that le- that uh, Batman is left in at the end of this issue. Is this a character that we kind of know of? No, it's a new creation. Oh, okay. The ghost. Okay. The ghost. Gotcha. Uh, and Tim says uh, that he's going with King of Black number one. Interesting. Well, you know, it is a you know, th- there's a lot to take in in that issue, and you know, I did have some nice things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um. I'll tell you that my potential clicks of the week are numerous. There are actually a pretty good number of books out this week. I can tell you that Black Widow number four is a strong candidate. Daredevil number 25 is a strong candidate. Mm-hmm. So, Modoc. Yeah, so is Thor number 10 and Modoc Head Games number one. So I have got my hands full. Do you have a pick while I consider my options? Uh, I can't say that I have as many as you do. But definitely a couple of them that you mentioned uh, is in the running. And um, you know what? I think I'm going to go with uh, Black Widow. Okay. Yeah. Because that, like I said, the, the, yeah, those, that was the one that was like, oh, dang. <laughs> I did not mm-hmm. expect that to happen. Even just, you know, despite, you know, the, the familiarity of the story beat, some of the story beats were, have been. But, right. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to go with Thor number 10 because uh, the saga of the reinvention of Donald, Dr. Donald Blake is is gripping. But I want to give shout outs to the other three that I had, you know, specifically uh, Black Widow number four that Roddy Cat picked, Daredevil number 25, and uh, Modoc Head Games number one. Shout out to uh, Jordan Blum and Patton Oswald and art by Scott Hepburn solid you know forget beyond solid work because i was you know i was i was very much enjoying myself reading that book yeah uh yeah probably the the total ones for me were definitely those two uh what well, was the the, the modok um modok savage avengers and um of course back with which which what i went with definitely mm-hmm. the miles morales was actually is kind of a kind of one too but it was you know it's just despite the somber note it, it uh went out on so that being said folks we're going to go into the news section but first an ad read our first ad read of the night is for wink the personalized wine club wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door from rosé to cabernet to torrente wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover ever try an orange wine Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. So place your first order with $20 off, and to help keep our show free for you, Go to our network website at cspn.us 
forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through CSPN. Do it today. Now we go into the news. And we start off with the news, uh, with the cinematic news. Um, like we do every day about this time as I transition over. Again, picture another nice little transition right there. Like, wow. Uh, DuckTales introduces Scrooge McDuck's sister in new clip. So Disney XD shared a sneak peek of DuckTales' newest uh, episode, which is probably already aired at this point, uh, by this time, I guess, uh, featuring a character never before seen in the reboot reboot or the original series, Matilda McDuck. McDuck. Uh, and if you're watching the video, you can, I would imagine you can see the picture of her right there, unless it's Della and, I don't know. No, not her. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The clip shows Scrooge, Dewey, and Webby visiting her, his sister Matilda in order to discover what happened to Scrooge's ch- childhood pet, quote-unquote, a clump of hair named Whiskers. So, you know, you can go check that out uh, for yourself. Next up. Okay, next up, Empire's January issue gives WandaVision stars a 70s-inspired makeover. Recently, uh, Empire released its standard and subscriber covers, spotlighting Paul Bettany's vision and Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch in a groovy way, as seen on its website. The standard cover features Vision sporting sideburns and shaggy hair, while Wanda wears a multicolored flowy blouse. The image is seen as blurring in and out of reality, inspired by the series' initial poster debut. The subscriber cover features Vision's head slowly unraveling as Wanda uses her powers. Given that the series has hinted at Wanda's power spiraling out of control, this cover leaves viewers with a foreboding vibe. Okay. Hmm. So, sounds like there could be some quote-unquote visions of that, um, vision. (laughs) Uh, miniseries from a couple of years back that Tom King did, possibly. Uh, Well, not necessarily, it's not the same thing, but, you know. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to draw on a number of sources, including, you know, may, it might touch on the original Vision and Scarlet Witch um, limited series. Yes. Which is on um, Marvel Unlimited right now. Mm-hmm. Next up, again, we're not getting anything from them, so we're just saying it's a good service. Uh, from the Hawkeye corner of the universe, Haley Steinfeld's uh, Kate Bishop and Pizza Dog debut in leaked set photo video excuse me not video not photo so apparently somebody took some some video while they were um you know some undercover video while they were filming on on the set which is in new york city so i'm sure you know agent 70 doesn't necessarily have to say whether it's him or not but that's fine you know that's funny. We understand it could be. You know, we've got to keep it. Got to keep things hush hush. Uh, a leaked video from the set of Marvel Studios and Disney Plus's upcoming Hawkeye series features the first look at Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop and Lucky the Pizza Dog. Uh, this is cool. There's also some pictures floating around out there um, uh, on the social medias. Uh, the video was taken from an uh, NYC subway and sees Bishop and Lucky descending a flight of stairs alongside Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton as a train approaches. 
So, yeah, of course, you know, there's been the rumors of uh, Hedy Steinfeld, uh, uh, you know, being playing um, Kate Bishop. And yeah, this seems to be a little bit more confirmation of this. I think it's pretty good confirmation. I would I say so. Did you take a look at the photos or the video? Uh, I didn't take a look at the videos, but I just saw the photos out there on Twitter a little bit ago. Right. I did see the photos. They look pretty good. We were joking about it just before the show. So um, they are definitely trying to stay in the spirit of um, the comic book costumes. Yeah, which is cool. And if you haven't uh, read that Hawkeye series from, what, 2012 that uh, Fraction and AHA did, you should. Is it that long ago? I think so. Hold on. Actually, let me check. Let me check. Real quick. I can check. Really? 2014, maybe. 2014. Maybe that sounds right. Um, 2013, 2014. Says, wait, that's the omnibus. Uh, no, 2012. Yeah, 2012 to 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, it might have started late 2012, but, you know. Well, so I remember, I do remember that the last issue, uh, I, I remember they had a, a problems getting the last couple last issue out and that one took way longer and almost a um a watchman situation but it didn't take nearly as long i was about to say if i recall correctly they they switched artists towards the end so um, no i was on the book hmm. was he yeah what am i remembering it might be a different Hawkeye now. I mean, there's been there's been a couple of artists who did a couple of issues of the book early. I mean, during the course of the the run, but not, not yeah, but not in the end. No, I was on the book the whole time, or for the majority of the time, I should say. Being free from beginning to end with the, with fillings, I got gotcha. you right. So no, I think I think I think what ended up happening might have had to do with fraction. If I'm not, remember, I don't remember what happened, but I don't know is that they were, you know, they, they, there was an issue in the, uh, uh, no pun intended, that in that last issue, didn't, it took a while for them to get that last issue out. And I still haven't read that last issue because I didn't want that series to end. That's funny. Yeah, that's, that is the thing you'll find out about me. Anyway, moving right along. Oh, see, that's what I remember. I remember, uh, whatchamacallit, um... I remember Annie Wu being part of the uh, creative team on this too. So that's oh, yes. what um, that's what made me. I, I couldn't remember if uh, it had something to do with um, you know one uh, you know with, with you know who was um, who was contributing to the delays. And yeah, Fraction did have Annie Wu as a co-writer on this, so right? And end. I think that a lot of that stuff was early on too. But um, but anyway, mm-hmm. what, do you mean, what do you mean her calendar? No, I'm talking about this is like towards the end. Um, right. But uh, let's see here. Next up is uh, Disney Plus's Hawkeye casts a Marvel villain and two new Avengers. This is an article written by our very own at TimDog98 on Comic Book Resources. The Hawkeye Disney Plus series starring Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld has cast a Marvel heroes Echo and Swordsman along with a Black Widow star. Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld's Hawkeye Marvel Cinematic Universe series has announced the addition of new cast members, including Vera Farmiga, Florence Pugh, Fra Fee, Tony Dalton, Alakwa Cox, and Zon McLaren. Farmiga will play Eleanor Bishop, the mother of Steinfeld's Kate Bishop. Fee plays a character named Kazi, who is possibly the Marvel villain named... Kazimierz Kazimierchuk 
aka Clown. Are you aren't you glad I got that name? <laughs> Indeed. You know, and I got I got a pre, I'm pretty sure I got it uh, pretty close on the first try. Um, Dalton portrays Jack Duquesne, the Avenger known as Swordsman. It's really Jacques Duquesne. Yeah. Um, the mentor to Hawkeye in the comics. Uh, Pew will repri- will reprise her Black Widow role of Yelena Belova, the sister to Scarlett Johansson's titular character. Cox plays Maya Lopez, a.k.a. the Marvel hero Echo, who is a deaf Native American who can copy another fighter's movements. And McLaren is William Lopez, who is most likely Echo's father, Willie Crazy Horse Lincoln. Wow. Shout out to TimDog98 for getting the story out to us. So this basically said that the kind of falls into the fact, and again, if you have not read Fraction of Ahab's run of Hawkeye, uh, and you're interested in the show, you might too, because that sounds like, especially with the clown showing up, because the clown was also from um, from that series. Yeah. And also, I'm kind of wondering if the, if the track shoot mafia is going to show up. Yeah, that's probably to. bet. It's probably a good bet. And especially, I mean, they got they got they got Kate, they got Pizza Dogs, which is definitely another uh, 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 who came out of that series. You know, clowns in here. Now, granted, Echo had I don't. I don't I don't remember if Echo had anything to do with that series or not, uh, but we knew Echo was going to be coming along at some because we had already had stories of them them looking for uh, someone to play Echo. Uh, Swordsman was didn't didn't play that big. Actually, I wonder if they got a Barney because I think Barney showed up also. His, uh, Clint's brother. Barney was in the series, not Swordsman, but Swordsman. Obviously, they're going to probably meld a, a several stories into the series. Like um, maybe do some backstory and put, and put kind of fold that in there. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Yep. Sounds right. Yeah, but that's the, because, bear, that sounds cool. Say, bear, I was going to say, bear in mind that we really haven't gotten a lot of uh, story or backstory on Hawkeye in the movies, other than the fact that. Um, he was a shield agent and he had a family that we all uh, up, up to this point had no idea he had. So, right in the MCU version anyway. Yeah. So okay. yeah, we'll see, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more excited about the, this, this, um, this show than I was actually. <laughs> oh. So next up though, um, agent Carter trader, excuse me, Agent Carter trailer teases two-hour movie fan version of the TV show. So basically, a fan recut uh, the whole of Agent uh, Carter's uh, what two seasons, I guess it was, into a two-hour film and put the trailer out uh, online. So if folks want to check that out, they can do that probably on YouTube somewhere. Um, I did not. I have not seen it, and apparently the, the teaser trailer here is like twelve minutes, so you can check that out in the article, uh, in the show notes. You know, if if that is something of interest, I know Agent Carter fans, um, you know, have probably flocked to it by now. So, and I doubt we're going to actually ever get any more <laughs> Agent Carter the way things are going. Although there's been rumors of things of things. Okay. Next up. All right. Um, okay. So I was just following up on this news story. Marvel producer Jeffrey Colo posted a cryptic tweet earlier this week that caught the eyes of diehard Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, igniting excitement and trepidation. 
Colo playfully alerted fans, aka agents, that a future Shield project is on its way and will debut on November 30th on Twitter. Its context, form, time, and location were entirely secret. So on November 30th, what dropped was um, uh, the, the the crew from uh, Marvel Agents of Shield uh, shot a short film benefiting uh, uh, MPTF. This is. Um, uh, a charity that helps Hollywood take care of its own. It serves the Southern California entertainment community. And um, it's a hashtag fund the bat at charity.gofundme.com forward slash fund the bat. So, um, yeah, they shot a, 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 a promo video for this charity. And you can find it on um, Clark Gregg's Twitter feed. Right, which is uh, which I have linked to in the show notes. Um, so yeah, you can check that out. I hadn't I hadn't checked it out, but yeah, seems cool. It's kind of funny though. I was like, well, wait, because people were thinking like, well, it's Agents of Shield cast and crew. Like, okay, are they going to possibly be something that has to do with the end of the show or and something like that? And like, no, it was totally something different. <laughs> they went Batman on there, so apparently or something. Like, I don't know the, what the the whole of the um of the, the, the short film is, but yeah, there you go. It's out there. Next up though, Aquafina's Shang-Chi's, uh, Aquafina's Shang-Chi character could connect a dangerous X-Men enemy. So Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings will introduce, uh, Simu Liu's, uh, Simu Liu's Shang-Chi to the Marvel cinematic universe, along with a whole host of new characters rumored to be joining the cast is Aquafina as follows sway i apologize i don't know how to, that's yeah um daughter of the villainous zhang zhu more commonly known as the alias fu manchu and half sister to shang chi which um going by recent the recent comic book is a little let's say beefier than aquafina uh is Normally, <laughs> if it's the, if it is that same character, um, that the, uh, huh? <laughs> but this is supposed to be another character, right? Okay, okay. But uh, however, while her ties to the hero Shang Chi are clear, uh, Zhang Bao Yu is more of a villain anti-hero herself. Should she appear in the film, it could mean a dangerous uh, alien species, the Brood would accompany her, providing Shang-Chi with a world of hurt. So, and then it goes on to talk about uh, her role in the comics. Right. And the dangerous X-Men enemy is the brood. I'm like, when did this happen? Right? (laughs) That was the brood? Like the, you know, like seriously, like the brood are dangerous, man. So. Yeah. But apparently, yeah, this article kind of goes on to, to, um, it looks like it has something to do with wait the fearless defenders, which means I should have read that. I mean that explains why I missed it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, but this article goes and it goes on to, to to show the the comic book connection to the character. If uh, if should this be the person uh, Aquafina is playing and shows up as next up? That's so funny. I know, right? Um, all right. Uh, shout out to the Mandalorian. 
Uh, we talked about it on last week's show, so we're not covering too much this week. Um, fans may have been grossed out by Costco Reeves' meal in Chapter 11 of The Mandalorian, but rest assured, she didn't actually eat an octopus. Mercedes Vomato, a.k.a. Sasha Banks, the actor that plays Reeves in The Mandalorian, revealed that she wasn't slurping a live marine animal, but rather a long udon noodle that was made to create the same effect. Oh, God. I mean, nothing wrong with calamari, though. So that's all I'm saying about that. Like, granted, that, the Star Wars version of that probably a little bit, you know, as we've seen. Funny. Yeah. But that's something. And yeah, we're going to get into the, the Mandalorian. We're definitely getting into the Mandalorian block. Like uh, Agent 70 said, we did talk about a lot of it. But we will be talking about some stuff that, um, bringing up some stuff that uh, happened in the last couple of episodes, such as uh, the Mandalorian's call. Well, this is not it, but the Mandalorian's call weathers act for more Baby Yoda in his episode. Uh, more Baby Yoda, or the child, or as we've come to find out his name, spoiler alert, uh, you know, uh, Grogu, you know, as we've come to find out from the last uh, episode. Yeah, I was uh, about to say, we're far enough away from it now that if you didn't watch it already, uh, shame on you. Yeah, but there's probably some people, but eh, you know. But anyway, uh, is a common, so uh, More Baby Yoda is a common request among fans of the Disney Plus, the Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. However, it was apparently also the request of, the, of Carl Weathers, who plays Grief Garka and directed Chapter 12, The Siege. Um, quote, unquote, I know what the show is about. It's called The Mandalorian. So that sort of takes care of that. Uh, Weathers told Empire, but his sidekick, his ward, his little being that accompanies here on this journey, has this sweetness. There's obviously a childlike quality that we love in little ones before they can say no. Also, a very good marketing strategy for the series because, you know, we know how people take to cute things like that. Anyway, that's just me, um, you know, editorializing right there, not not what um, Carl Weather said on that last part. Anyway, um, let's see. Before they say and no three and throw things and have tantrums. When I read the script, one of my comments was to ask John Favreau to put more baby in it. Oh. Uh, sorry. Uh, the journey that we're on the fight with Ginger and is very action oriented and there's a lot of weapon firing back guys. So yeah, basically he wanted, um, he basically saying that the baby Yoda just kind of offset all the action and whatnot going on during the course of the, uh, during the course of the, the show and the series. So, and he says he's a fan of the kid. A real fan. I'd love to see more of him. According to uh, uh, Carl Weathers, a lot of people was was surprised to know that Carl Weathers not only directed but has been directing for a good long time. When this episode came out, so it was kind of funny to see that on on social media. Anyway, next up. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, how many TV directors or movie directors do you really know, unless they're like you know. Um, uh, uh, explicitly marketed that way, right? You know, the, the only reason why I, I mentioned that is because um, I'm a big fan of the West Wing, and every once in a while I'll see the name of the actress whose name escapes me right now, but the actress who, who played Dr. Carrie Weaver on ER, mm-hmm. she directed several episodes of ER, and then I start to see her name pop up on the West Wing. Oh no! Nice. Like, Wait a second, what is she doing? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean. That's pretty cool that there's a little crossover there, but obviously it's also a John. They're both John Wells shows, mm-hmm. so 
But anyway, yeah. but in, but in um, this case, but in this case, it's like well, Carlos Weathers. You know him, Action Jackson. You know him from Apollo Creed. You know, you know him as that. You don't necessarily. I mean, hell, people when Stone started directing, he got some of the same. You know, people are like, what, what? You know, Grant I was about does, to say he's um, that, but he's uh, oh God, what was his name in um, in 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 uh, uh, what you call it in uh, Happy Gilmore? Who uh, Carl Weathers? Yeah, oh yeah, he wasn't called. Well, this Adam Sandler, we don't we don't talk about that. But God, I forgot. But no, but his character is memorable. Yeah. Chubbs. 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 Yeah. Chubbs. All right. Speaking of Carl Weathers, uh, he shed light on Chapter 12's big reveal. Um, this is related to the discovery of Moff Gideon's secret base and insight into his grand scheme for the galaxy. And we learn that the child has a much larger role to play in Gideon's plans than previously thought. In an interview, Carl Weathers um, uh, led us into it, but he also said that um, without divulging too much information, when you listen to the dialogue, it's pretty much explained without saying uh, everything, uh, without explaining to us um, what it all means. So um, we basically, he basically says that there's more to it than we've uh, been introduced to so far. So, Right. Yeah, I well, we'll get on to to that in a little bit. I didn't. I almost went back and watched this particular episode, but I did go back and watch the the next one we're about to talk about in, in a minute or two, which was the last episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because when because when I saw this article and read this, I was like, huh, maybe it, if I go back and check that, because you know, sometimes in hindsight, it's like you catch things that you don't really catch the first time. Anyway, uh, Disney digitally removes the Mandalorian's accidental crew member cameo. Um, in line with bad things happening in 2020, Disney has digitally... I don't know if this is a bad thing. This is an article editorializing that part, but Disney has digitally removed a lone crew member who excuse me, accidentally appeared in the background of a recent Mandalorian episode. Uh, the crew member who the internet uh, lovingly dubbed Jeans Guy appeared at the 1854 mark in Season 2, Episode 4, which was uh, Carl Weathers' um, episode that he directed. Uh, back flats against the wall, the crew member was not in the shop for very long, but they made an impact on Star Wars fans everywhere. Speaking of things, uh, this is kind of going into speaking of things that you missed on, because I didn't pick up on this one. People, I missed... So what? <laughs> I said, I missed it totally. Yeah. So people even made mock designs for action figures based on the crew member. I uh, did see that. You can't buy that kind of love. The Verges reached out to Disney about the digital eraser. erasure, And then they go into saying, you know, um, basically goes into talk about digital editing and the worries about it. And, you know, it even calls back, make a call back to the movie Splash from 1980s. So, or apparently that maybe they, I guess they did this to splash on Disney Plus by covering up her butt. So, yeah, I mean it's Disney. What were are you? What were you expecting? <laughs> so anyway, but so that's the thing that happened, and I totally missed out on Jeans Guy. So you know, salute, guy, you were there, and now you're not. Next up, hold on, um. So this is a story about um, Rosario Dawson uh, putting a comment following uh, Ahsoka Tano's debut on a video trailer for episode 13. So um, 
to celebrate the premiere of the latest episode, The Jedi, Dawson commented on a trailer for the episode in true Star Wars fashion, writing, may the force be with you. I don't know if Roddy Cap put into the show notes. Yes, it's in the clickbait section. Yeah, it's in the clickbait section. I was going to mention that. I was just going to say that there is a pretty in-depth article on uh, Vanity Fair, you know, published by Vanity Fair. So you could uh, hop on over to our clickbait section and take a look at that article. Um, it has a lot of uh, stuff from uh, Rosario Dawson about um, uh, finally bringing Ahsoka Tano to uh, screen in live action. And uh, Dave Filoni is also a big part of this interview as well. So there is it's a pretty good in-depth article so definitely recommend reading it indeed indeed and i think we might get a nugget or two possibly from that in one of the articles coming up uh but next up uh original osoka tano's actor uh celebrates character's live action debut uh, original osoka tano voice actress ashley Eckstein, y'all know, know know who that is um, celebrated the character's live-action debut in the Mandalorian with a post on her Instagram. Eckstein has voiced the character in various Star Wars properties since 2008, including uh, Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars animated series. Um, yeah, we talk about how the character was first received and all that kind of good mess. Uh, and, of course, the rumors that uh, about Rosario Dawson taking, you know, get, taking the, the live-action version of the role. Um... Eckstein took to Instagram to express her delight with the character's debut on The Mandalorian. She expressed both the longtime she addressed both the longtime fans who have followed the character since the beginning and the millions of new ones who are meeting Ahsoka for the first time. Eckstein also wrote about Ahsoka's uh, evolution as a character and how she became a uh, beacon of light in the Star Wars universe. Ahsoka Tano was, until Rey's debut, one of the only female Jedi in the series whose journey was prominently featured in the franchise. And, of course, you can check out the, the post, uh, the fairly lengthy post uh, on her Instagram in the in the article and show notes. Uh, and this is the point where I say that I did a little bit more of my uh, Star Wars Clone Wars rewatch, and I got to the point where um, she, at the end of... Uh, um, season five, where Ahsoka ends up leaving the Jedi Order. So, if you've been paying attention to my uh, my my um my Twitter, that's pretty much what you saw from me uh, the bulk of yesterday morning. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, forgive me. I'm not on Twitter that much, so I'm sorry to have missed out on that because I would have replied. It's about time. <laughs> So yeah, so now that which basically puts me squarely into season six and rounding out, kind of rounding out my rewatch because season seven and I haven't seen yet. Um, and season six is only thirteen episodes, so at some point I get that. And of course, it was also the point where, um, you know, that one moment that I, I I've expressed earlier that I didn't like, that I hated getting to, because actually I didn't realize I forgot they were back to back because first it was the the whole thing with Mandalore and. Uh, Satine, uh, Duchess Satine, uh, Diane, and then right after that was uh, Ahsoka getting getting framed for the murder and leaving the the, the Jedi Order, or ending of, uh, you know, ending up right. with her leaving the Order after all that thing was said to her turning into the future and all that stuff. So, like I didn't re- didn't think didn't remember that that was back to back. So I was like, well, damn, it just hit me two times in the, <laughs> in the span of like five or four or five episodes or four episodes. So, 
crazy. Anyway, next up. All righty. Uh, just need a moment. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what are we on? Mandalorian's character? Yes. Uh, Mandalorian's character designer uh, explains Ahsoka's shorter Montrals uh, Leku. Following the live-action debut of Ahsoka, Lucasfilm character concept designer Brian Matthias or Matthias elaborated upon why Ahsoka's head tails or Teku or uh, Leku were shortened in size compared to her animated appearances. Um, asked by a fan on Twitter why the design was changed, stating some confusion among fans as her Leku were much bigger when the character appeared in Rebels around the same time period. From animation to live action. He did a ton of design exploration for her and their appropriate size for the actor with consideration for stunts and movement. Matthias explained, or Matthias explained, I'm sure uh, he'll, he's sure he'll get to discuss at greater length in the near future. I thought that was a practical uh, application or consideration that they had to make. Yeah, so did I. Like, I didn't think that much of it. It's like, yeah, of course, you got an actor, a live action versus animated where you can, you know, do a little bit more with animation than you can with uh, practical effects and, and, and animation. So, like, I didn't really think that much of it uh, uh, as well. So, I did, I guess, again, I did go back and watch this episode and because um, I, I initially recalled the stance she was using to fight with was not her, the stance we knew the, the, um, that we knew her from from the animated series, but we also know that, you know, she kind of grew to learn different stances during the, mm-hmm. the series anyway so that that part didn't matter but obviously she did end up in during the, the last course of the fight go into the stance that we know her from the the, the little offbeat stance of i guess that's form five i don't know what it is somebody i'm sure is a, they did name it as a form at some point um mm-hmm. that she's more famously known for uh in the animated series so it was all cool and actually, I think uh, going to that, yeah, the next one actually goes uh, something that we didn't get to talk about uh, that we didn't bring up last uh, episode that sparked a couple of articles in that uh, a killer glass class of droid returned for in The Mandalorian. Um, so, yeah, we talked about the, 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 the episode with the Sokotana and the flat and the part of the crew that the magistrate, a.k.a. Um, um, Morgan Els- Elsbeth, uh, ends up employing uh, also employs two HK series droids which if you know anything uh, from the if you played Nice at Old Republic or played uh, the Old Republic uh, MMO you know that the HK series of droids was a, was, a, was a thing was a picture of those series and there's like I said, they have two HK droids in here, which, as far as we knew, weren't around in the Star Wars universe, or at least not many of them were still being employed in the Star Wars universe, you know, away from the old Republic uh, era of Star Wars. But apparently, there's a couple still are still around, or were still around as of this um, this uh, episode. And uh, this first article kind of talks about the the fact that it is, and there's also another article about. Uh, I guess I think I did put in in the clickbait section where is this episode also gives way to the fact that another video game, uh, Star Wars video game uh, uh, protagonist could possibly be still around in that of Kark, um, Karkaturn. 
uh, partially based on probably this, um, the, you know, the HK's the series being around, but that's a whole different series because that's like the Dark Forces series, and this is Old Republic. So, and I can't remember if there were any HK's in. Um, actually, there might have been. There might have been an HK series that was in the, the the Dark Forces series, but I don't remember. Regardless, video game stuff, Star Wars. There's some of the stuff kind of coming back into uh, EA. I mean, to, to the EU. Or it's into canon from the EU, um, which some of that stuff necessarily was not, but regardless. There you go. Next up. Uh, speaking of that Vanity Fair article I was referencing that's in our clickbait section, uh, Dave Filoni played coy at the very end of that article on where this episode uh, where Ahsoka is, uh, uh, makes her live-action debut, where that fits into the Star Wars timeline because um, – you know, when you look at uh, the epilogue of Rebels, which Roddicat, I believe, did see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you don't really know how much time has passed. So it's possible that the story told in The Mandalorian actually takes place prior to that. He says it's possible. He's saying it's possible. <laughs> hint, hint, wink, wink. Mm. So, um, yeah, he's definitely playing coy with that. But that was a nice little um, uh, uh, uh stinger at the end of that interview right well so i had so and i did read this and i was like well we do kind of know we don't necessarily know as far as star, star, star wars timeline but we do know some time has passed because at the uh spoiler alerts for the end of uh, star wars rebels which again at this point is old enough to you know if you haven't seen it by now i don't know what to tell you um um Ezra and Thrawn which and it also makes sense with this episode because it, during the course of this uh, mandalorian episode Ahsoka's looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn, which would line up with the fact that uh, Ahsoka and Sabine were looking for Ezra and Thrawn, who pretty much were together at the end of the series, thanks to some uh, hyperspace animals uh, whisking them away. The Pergil. I can't Pergil. believe I remember that name. Mm-hmm. So it could make the end. We do know at uh, at the end of when that when we found out that happens, it has been a few years, right? At the I mean, end of that episode, in the course of that episode, enough, yeah, I was about to say it's been long enough for Jason Sindula to be uh, able to sit up and 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 be able to sit in the in in one of the chairs in the ghost. So exactly, uh, Body Cat is on point with that assessment. So we will see. But it was funny to see uh, Filoni play coy at the end of that interview. Like I said, that was a really well done interview with. Um, um, the uh, the uh, the interviewer uh, Anthony Bresnikan hmm. um, was on point with a lot of his questions. Right. So technically, basically, the, that Mandalorian episode could possibly take place in the midst of that last in the time frame of that last episode of Rebels, which I thought was like okay. <laughs> I mean, not okay as in like yeah, but okay. It was like oh shoot because actually because I was actually kind of wondering like why is she looking for Thrawn until so we thought about that point like Thrawn had been dealt with if this was after that point but we also know that oh yeah right i forgot they were still looking for ezra and you know mm-hmm. what better way to try to find ezra is than look for thrawn so yeah there's the thing i i like it it's cool um which maybe that'll open it up to wait because i know that even at the end of rebels that there there was the hint of maybe there could be another season come up at some point along the line a lot the way the season seven happened for clone wars but nothing's really been fleshed out on that all right so we don't know. 
Anyway, next up. Is it? Oh, this is you. Uh, David Prowse, the physical actor behind Darth Vader, has died at 85. Uh, actor David Price, known for his being the physical actor, like I said, behind Darth Vader in the original Star Wars film trilogy, has passed away. Um, excuse me, he was 85 years old. His passing was confirmed on Twitter by talent agency Boeington Management. Uh, it is with great regret and heartwarming, heart-wrenching sadness for us and millions of fans around the world to announce that our client, David Prowse, uh, MBE, has passed away at 85 and then this article kind of goes into you know a little bit of uh history he was in clockwork orange he was in casino royale james bond film and a whole lot of other stuff um apparently something i found out about which i don't know if i knew this or not but uh david prowse who played you know who who's basically the person you saw on the screen also did the lines for Darth Vader before being before they were being dubbed over by James Earl Jones, and apparently he didn't find out about that until the the movie um, premiered. So that's one thing. And I will also take this moment to say that hey, James Earl Jones is still around. Get that man his flowers while he's still here. Period. Next up, oh, Nicholas is across his family and, and friends and all that. What's that? I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, Star Trek Picard star Evan Ev- I almost read this as Eva Longoria. I did too. Evagora has confirmed that the second season of the sci fi series will begin production in January 2021. The show on CBS All Access is a spin off co- uh, continuation of the wildly popular series Star Trek The Next Generation, which ran from 87 to 94. Okay. And if you we don't all- know, that's, that's uh, uh, Romulan Legolas. <laughs> Oh, is it? Yes. Evagora is Romulan Legolas. That's funny. yeah. That's that. That's that dude. Because as if you go back to our uh, episode, our treasure edition on Star Trek Picard, that's what we dubbed him. That's so funny. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I like Picard season two is going to start up. Cool. Uh, Star Trek Discovery gives touching tribute to Anton Yelchin. Um. So apparently, spoiler alert for the last episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, the last episode that came out. Wow. And it's even called, wait, it's called Unification uh, 3, which is a, a callback to uh, Star Trek T, uh, TNG episodes, Unifications Part 1 and 2, I guess. Um, so Star Trek Discovery honored Anton Yelchin by naming a starship the USS Yelchin after the late actor who tragically died in 2016. Uh, the flagship CBS All Access series has been creatively rejuvenated by changing the setting to the, thir- the 32nd century, which has allowed Star Trek Discovery to create a new canon in the far future. Uh, this has also enabled the show to incorporate the legacy of the entire Star Trek franchise and that fittingly now includes tactically tactically uh acknowledging tactically excuse me acknowledging the kelvin timeline of the jj abrams star wars movies so yeah and of course if you did you know, folks did not know anton yeljan was the one who played uh Chekhov in the uh abrams movies sorry right. he died in a really awful accident right yeah, and people were, you know, people went bonkers when they heard that. I was like, this, like, I barely know who that dude was, but apparently, you know, people can't for good looking white boys. Anyway, next up. Okay. 
Um, he did Sorry. do other work. He but, did do you know, other work. Yeah, because there was a couple of notes of other movies that people Loki knew him for, but you know, a lot a lot of people knew him for for the for that. Okay. So next up in news, ahead of its season five premiere, The Expanse has posted its own take on the classic Yule Log video. The Proto Mole Yule Log video was posted on Amazon Prime Video's YouTube channel. It lasts for an hour, featuring a video screen with a crackling fire. The Proto Mole is a reference to the extraterrestrial material discovered on Saturn's moon of Phoebe. Uh, smelly cat. It plays major role in the first three seasons of The Expanse as it can infect human beings and was being developed as a weapon by businessman Jules Pierre Mao in season one. What are they feeding you? Okay. Well, humans at uh, in this thing, because I do remember that. The Expanse is good, y'all. I'm going to say it again. The Expanse is pretty good. I need to catch up on the last couple of seasons, but it's good stuff. Uh, yeah, tis the season because now you're starting to see the, the videos pop up of the Yule Logs uh, and the the lo-fi jazz with the U-Log and every variation therein. Uh, and this is just another one of those. I don't know what kind of music they're putting behind this, but nevertheless, there you go. Um, next up, though, Wonder Woman 1984 director Patty Jenkins reveals more about the upcoming spinoff. Uh, Patty Jenkins has teased further details about her upcoming Wonder Woman spinoff. Uh, the movie will focus, focus on the Amazonians, the Amazons, same thing, excuse me. Uh, a race of warrior women who Diana Prince lived with before she became Wonder Woman, and Jenkins will serve as producer of the project. Uh, quote unquote, this is a story that Jeff Johns and I came up with and then introduced to Warner Brothers, um, according to the, the, the article. Uh, the events of this story takes place after Diana leaves the Mascara, the island of the Amazons, and there's some twists and turns linked to what happened between Wonder Woman 1984 and Wonder Woman 3. Uh, the production of the project has not yet uh, officially started, but I hope we get to, but I hope we get it because I love this story. So, there you go. Next. All right, Wonder Woman 1984 will be the first title that HBO Max streams in 4K resolution. It was announced that um, it's also going to support, depending on what your setup is capable of, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, and HDR10. The 4K stream will be available on Apple TV 4K, Amazon Fire TV Stick 4K, Amazon Fire TV Cube, and all you people that have 4K rigs. And all right, because I am not one of them. <laughs> Same. And it'll probably, by the, well, by the time I get a 4K TV, it'll probably be 8K out. And I know that those are out. So, mm -hmm. anyway, so hey, good luck for all you people. As a matter of fact, I think it does. It might say in this article, it's like, yeah, um, please find. Patty Jenkins says in the tweet uh, that is linked to in this article, please find the biggest and highest quality screen you can. Because of everything that is in here, I'm like, you know what, my me and my little 1080p and my my old ass receiver are going to be just fine. I think. Next up. Uh, Gal Gadot to star in James Bond style action franchise from the old guard, Greg Rucka. So apparently uh, Gadot, Gadot will play the lead in Heart of Stone, which sounds like an old Batman TAS um, episode. Uh, that's me editorializing that. Which is an in original James Bond style action franchise centered around an international spy from Skydance Media, as reported by Deadline. Rucka, who wrote the Old Guard comic series and the Old Guard movie for uh, Netflix, 
wrote the script for Heart of Stone with Alison Schroeder, uh, who was nominated for the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for Hidden Figures. Gotcha. Uh, Deadline reports that Heart of Stone will put a female spin on franchises like Mission Impossible and 007. Uh, director has not yet been confirmed, but Tom Harper of the Aeronauts and Peaky Blinders is currently in talks to direct. All right, I'm intrigued. I still have not seen that that old guard movie. Here's all right. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Um. Anyway, next up. All right, next up, the first five episode titles of the Flash season seven have been revealed. Already teasing the delayed conclusion of the Mirror Master arc. And a fearful future for the team. Uh, production on The Flash Season 6 was disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. As a result, the season was cut short, concluding with 19 episodes rather than its requisite 22. Um, the move served to leave several dramatic cliffhangers unresolved. So um, the CW um, since released those first five episode titles and hint at potentially what's to come regarding the lingering developments um, that were left hanging as a result of the shutdown. The premiere episode will be called All's Well That Ends Well, and uh, it goes on from there. So um, for fans of The Flash, uh, I hope you're happy that it's finally coming. Indeed. Uh, And I really, man, they need to slow down or either just stop on these doggone speculative theory these theory articles because some of this stuff gets stupid. Because um, if you're watching the video, you can see the one I'm pointing to right now, which has something to do with the Mandalorian, which I don't know if I should even give credence to. Nevertheless, next up, um, Aquaman director, please don't play. Stop playing. Uh, Aquaman director James Wan is making a new Van Helsing movie. Uh, so after the Dark Universe debacle in 2017, the success of this year's The Invisible Man showed that um, the universe's catalog of movie monsters could still produce a box office hit. I did not know there was an Invisible Man movie this year. Um, the studio has several other classic movie monster movies in development, and it's been revealed that Conjuring and Aquaman director James Wan is working on a new movie about Van Helsing. Uh, as reported by Deadline, Juan will produce what is described as an original horror thriller uh, featuring the iconic vampire hunter who was created by writer Bram Stoker and first appeared in the classic novel Dracula. The film will be directed by Julius Avery, who previously helmed the J.J. Abrams-produced World War II horror, horror excuse me, Overlord. The movie does not have, yet have a release date. So there you go. Another Van Helsing movie. Probably without um, Hugh Jackman, I would imagine. Next up. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All but right, next, next up. up. Next up. Every time I see uh, this new name, I think of E.T. Elliot Page. I, I did actually think that also. Skirt. What's that? I did actually think that also when I first saw it. I, I can't help it. The, the Oscar-nominated star of Juno and Netflix's The Umbrella Academy has announced he is transgender. Elliot, formerly known as Ellen Page, addressed his social media followers um, with, uh, with, an, with the announcement. Um, it's a bit on the long side, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, um, you know, she thanks, uh, he thanks her, everyone for, for, for their support. 
And uh, it's noted here in the article that Paige uses both he, him, and they, them pronouns and describes himself as transgender and non-binary, meaning that their gender identity is neither man nor woman. Okay. Yeah. So congratulations to him and them. Um, Elliot. I can't, I can't. How many Elliots do you run into? That's the worst part. Not so when I saw that that was the name that that he chose, I was just like, well, it makes sense yeah. because it, you know, it, it flips it flips from Ellen to Elliot. But right. the one thing I know about Elliot, other than Elliot Ness, is E.T. And Elliot Gold. Well, not spelled like that, but I guess when I first read it, I don't think of Elliot Gold. Well, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Just think of Elliot, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just say it. But yeah, but yeah, this, 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 and I think this was like from a couple of days ago. And um, without little hyperbole, this um kind of set the internet ablaze because when this got out fully that morning, because I remember when I saw it that morning, and this, 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 my timeline went lit up, you know. With you know well wishes and all that kind of good mess and you know so it was like yeah it, it this one took off so shout out to Elliot Page you know live your best life there, there you go. go that's what we are trying to do next up yeah flip the I was about to say flip these stories start with the Tim Dog story uh okay uh flip uh Suicide Squad Godzilla versus Kong Matrix Four and more heading to uh, HBO Max in 2021. So Warner Media has announced that it's releasing its entire 2021 film slate on HBO Max, which will include the aforementioned movies and much more. Uh, the Warner Media films will be available for their first months on HBO Max while also viewing in theaters and probably setting a precedent, a set precedent that was actually... Well, I mean, it's not like it hasn't been done before, but yeah, this is probably a bigger one than previously. Anyway, uh, following the first month, each film will only be available in domestic and international theaters. So basically the same model that Wonder Woman 1984 is going through, the rest of um, the rest of these movies are going to be doing the same thing, which includes a whole bunch of them. I'm not going to go uh, into that, but also Wonder, we'll probably talk about in a second, Mortal Kombat. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to be, uh, put out that way. And I'm going to say, yay, because I think I have my HBO max through the end of next year. Nice. I believe I, I can't remember. I need to see it. Cause I know with that whole, uh, DC universe thing, there's been a change. So I'm going to have to actually look into that a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I might be good for 2021 and, and, and for and HBO max. Yay. But uh, I guess I'll go ahead and do this next one since it's related. Uh, mm -hmm. Warner Brothers boss explains simultaneous HBO Max theater releases. Um, you know, going by what was said, it just says that uh, I'm going to start by saying the obvious. We're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, says Warner Media head Jason Kilar. Uh, despite all of us wishing that this pandemic goes away extremely quickly, like a Band-Aid being ripped off. Uh, everyone we talked to in the medical community suggested this will persist in terms of consumer consumer behavior and the medical situation for a bit of uh, 2021 because people can't keep the goddamn masks on and stay away out of uh, public places, um, especially here in the states. Dumbasses. Um, anyway, 
Uh, as for the financials of this release mode, Kilar said that, uh, well, you know, I'm not going to go through all of that, but basically he talked about financials and some, he basically said it's the right thing to do for fans. And that's the kind of the bottom line in this. Um, and there's the often mentioned, you know, model that uh, spurs from Wonder Woman and going into the rest of the stuff that we just mentioned. So, cool. I'm not complaining about this. <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. hopefully more places will do it. I doubt it because they want, you know, they and obviously, as Agent 70 said before the show, you know, the theater owners um none too pleased with this. Well, actually, I take that back because they were pleased with the fact that um Wonder Woman kind of came out. There were some that kind of came out and said, yeah, this is cool because it's still going to be in theaters. So, obviously, they're still cool with that. But... Right, because they're going to get the diehards, you know, the people that insist on seeing it on a big screen. And there are movies like that you know you know at least amongst this release slate that i would definitely consider going to see on the big screen after probably seeing it at home right just because i want to see it on the big screen so right. but at the same time you know um we we all know that the initial run of every movie is where most of its money is made mm-hmm. so that's the difficult part of it right um, some of it makes follow- it up in 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 the home releases though some of them right some of them Following up on this, on, on, on these stories, this is the big story of today, really. Um, Mortal Kombat, one of the films on that slate, uh, is has debuted a new movie logo. Um, following that news, star Louis Tan posted an updated logo for the film on Twitter. The new logo features golden letters and a sleeker version of the iconic Mortal Kombat Dragon logo. Game Changer 2021, Tan wrote. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look that far f- removed from... The well, the older movie treatments, or even the game ones, but and sure, it's a good looking logo. All right, and shout out to at uh, Tim Dog ninety eight for uh, providing us that uh, that the, uh, the the main story of uh, H, uh, Warner Media announcing um, this full slate of uh, movies going to HBO Max. Sure, Tim over there busting it up, um, and I believe is that no. I believe that is it for the for the cinematic news. Yep. Yep, it sure is. So now we transition over into the comic book news. And we start off with Image Comics' Homesick Pilots is a punk rock ghost story from Dan Waters and Casper Weingard. Is it Weingard? Is that right? I'm gonna. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that's right. Um, anyway, a grunge uh, rock horror story is hitting shelves just in time for Christmas with Homesick Pilots number one. In the summer of 1984, a haunted house walks across uh, California, uh, piloted by the lead singer of a high school punk rock, uh, high school punk band. The mystery behind how she got there and what these ghosts want will be answered in the Image Comics series debuting in December. So. There you go. That's the thing. And then the, the rest of the article basically talks about um, what uh, this is and is a, an article with uh, Waters and Weingard about the um, about the series. So you can check it out on the show notes. Next up. Next up, John Ridley initially thought DC created Black Label for him. This is mildly tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Um Writer John Ridley, uh, when he was approached by DC Comics to write the other history of the DC Universe for their Black Label imprint, initially thought that it was an imprint created for him. Um, 
Uh, he basically relayed a story between uh, of himself talking to Jim Lee and Dan DiDio, and um, they were talking about finding the right format. And then they came back and said, yeah, we, we got this thing. We're going to do Black Label. And Ridley told CBR during a conference call, Ridley was like, oh, wow, they're giving me my own label. It's for, you know, the black guy. And, of course, they had to explain that that's not why it was called the Black Label. But very much tongue-in-cheek. Hmm. Although they've given lesser people whole ass lines of, uh, but we, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to go back on that one again. I say, remember, I was about to say, bear in mind that they've that they've um, reduced the number of lines recently. I mean, true, but that doesn't mean that he still haven't given them in the first place. Like, how why did Gerard Way? You know. Anyway, whatever. Um, so yeah, that was that was amusing. <laughs> We're not even talking about the Bendis thing. We're talking about this whole other situations. Batman just uh, unmasked himself to several Gotham villains. Uh, and apparently this is a spoiler from Batman Gotham Knights number 20, which is probably already out. Or I don't know if that came out this week or came out last week, regardless. Um, so, yeah, uh, apparently that happened during the course of the story. I didn't actually read this article to see what happened, but apparently he, masks, he unmasked himself to save the life of uh, one of uh, Gotham PD's finest, I guess. So, yeah, there you go. Next. Okay, apparently uh, the Superman title is given the Daily Planet a jaw-dropping new owner, and Roddy Cat um, advises CBR to tone down on the hyperbole. Calm down. Uh, it's not that serious. Shots fired at the editorial staff at uh, CBR. Oh, no! Apparently, in short, the Daily Planet moves past its latest candles in Action Comics number 1027, the company gains a familiar face as its latest owner, Jimmy Olsen. I didn't know. I did not know he had that kind of dough. Well, see, and that there's, and this is where I come in. It's like, yeah, because this has been a metaphor. Well, because of the fact that I read his, uh, actually, speaking of fraction, read his um, his miniseries of it. I think it's just wrapped up, and probably seeing it somewhere else. Come to find out that Jimmy Olsen's family has got a lot of money, like founding founding family money, like. The, you know, his family pretty much uh, helped found uh, Metropolis. Okay. So he's got money. Um, and, you know, and so knowing that, it's like, okay, well, yeah, his family's got money. So, and, and granted, he's just been there for as a photo talker. Well, I don't even know what his status is at that point. And, 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 and just because I don't really keep up with that, that, that whole miniseries was kind of uh, way more tongue in cheek than, you know, it's it's some fraction craziness, but it was good for what it was. But regardless, um, it's not. I guess it's a bigger surprise for longtime readers. But I feel like some of these longtime readers probably know that yeah, his family's got money because I feel like that's not the only place that that tidbit of information has shown up uh, in DC. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. And the fact that, you know, classically Jimmy Olsen is just like, yeah, he's Superman's sidekick and he's always getting in trouble and this and that. And and that miniseries kind of does go into some of that also. But outside of the fact that... This is a relatively recent revelation, right? 
Um, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It has. It came up like I said. It came up a lot in that miniseries, but I it feels like it was something that was already established beforehand. That part I don't know honestly. know. right. So, but that's where I found out about it. So I, I would assume I'm probably not the only one. And since you didn't know either, that was like the, that's probably the revelation for you also. And maybe that was the thing that just just came out during during the course of that. I don't honestly know. So yeah. Jimmy Olsen's uh, owns the the Daily Planet now, so, but like the jaw dropping, it's like it's it's really not. Like I said, knowing knowing that information, it's not that. And plus, even if that's the case, like it could have been such a thing. Like, no, nah, I've been with the Daily Planet for forever and a day, and I saved up my pennies, and just so happen to have enough. I don't know. But yeah, his family's got money, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Um, next up though, uh, next. Uh, the Lost Superman's PlayStation game has appeared in public, but you probably won't play it. Uh, Superman 64 is a 1994 Super, uh, me, Nintendo 64 title that says the unfortunate representation repu, me, reputation as being one of the worst video games made ever. Um, E.T. and that um, the other um, Atari 2600 game of note. Uh, would Big to different, but sure. Anyway, now the loss of PlayStation version. Oh, ET? No. <laughs> well, ET and there was like, uh, well, no, there was um, uh, shoot, there was another one that was kind of problematic. Let's just say that was also not good from the twenty six hundred area. That I don't think never really saw a release, but nevertheless. Um, okay. Yeah, but ET definitely yes in that in that number. Um, but anyway, now the lost PlayStation version of that very same, very dreadful game has been posted online. Uh, the original uh, Super N64 was designed by French developer Titus Interactive with the PlayStation port handled by its U.S. subsidiary Blue Sky Software. But when Warner Brothers pulled Titus's license to use his IP, for probably understandable reasons, the port was canceled. So yeah, so apparently um, the PlayStation port of a Nintendo 64 Superman game that was terrible in the first place is now available for, I guess, people to, to um, I don't know where you'd get it from, but apparently there's a DeviantArt post where the dude's like, hey, here's some, here's some art from it. So if you are masochistic enough, and I got a feeling I probably might be, um, I might check this out for that one series of uh, Twitch streams that I've been doing. Uh, the horror. The horror. Anyway, next up. Next up, after a few leaks and rumors earlier in the year, the Virtual DC Fandom event finally confirmed that WB Montreal's latest project is Gotham Knights. The game seemingly kills off Batman and places his Bat family in the lead role, letting players select between characters like Robin, Batgirl, Red Hood, and Nightwing. Following its reveal a few months ago, the game has seemingly gone dark, though new details have started to come to light, including a major single-player feature. Okay. Yeah, I mean, chances are we probably won't see any much more uh, on this game until either it comes out or E3 uh, of next year. So that's not right. that big of a surprise. But yeah, good to know it's going to have single-player. <laughs> Because way too many players. Which, but I can see this one actually being a, a multiplayer. On, I mean, kind of similarly to um, uh, Marvel's Avengers. So, but this is being made by Rocksteady, so it's probably going to be a little bit better. Oh, wait, actually, uh, this is not the one being made by Rocksteady. 
This is a Montreal. What do you call it? I just said it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I was thinking about the other one that's coming out. Uh, coming out because they're usually the one that's doing the Arkham stuff. Um, so anyway, that's beside the point. Next up, though, Funko launches build your own personalized figurines with Pop People. Um, in a personally surprise, they didn't have this well before now. Um, there's a new line of figurines that seeks to respond to demand for customized pops. Uh, and apparently it says here that, uh, there's no shortage of people who looked at Funko pops, um, and said, I want one that looks like me. I don't know who those people are, honestly. So, um, uh, and there are certain people in certain persons in Hollywood that have tasked their minions into fruitless entreaties. Uh, this is the article saying all of this to convince the Everett Washington based company to make figurines out of their likeness or only to be rebuffed. Well, dreams do come true, especially at Funko's Hollywood location. Uh, the company announced Tuesday that it's launching pop people, a silo of customized figurines that allow customers to create pop stylized figures themselves uh, grandma, spouses, bosses, or anyone else they might love or love to hate. Uh, beginning December 11th, the Funko headquarters in Everett and Funko Hollywood will have many pop factories that will offer thousands of combinations of hair, apparel, and more to create the likenesses you're looking for. So that line of comic book chronicles uh, pop figures that you've been looking for, coming to you, not really, ever. <clears throat> but hey, you know. Go for, go for Delph, I always say. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing. It's nice. December 11th, they're going to be $25, as this article says, per pop. I was going to say a pop, but it would have been the same thing. So, yeah, that's the thing. Um, you know, like those like, customized Nike sneakers and uh, Xbox controllers, you can now do pops a similar way, except for probably a little bit more customized than either one of those. Next up. All right. When I read this, uh, forgive me for uh, uh, thinking of Russell Peters, the uh, comedian. Mm-hmm. The first board game promises. This is going to hurt. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Russell Peters' um, uh, stand-up comedy. I have not. Uh, a new board game based on the hit comic series The Boys from First Games and uh, Dynamite Entertainment is coming to tabletops near you. Although the board game titled The Boys, This Is Going to Hurt, uh, doesn't have an official release date as of yet, it recently reached its funding goal of $50,000 on Kickstarter. In the game, players take on the role of CIA agents who must attempt to bring down the all-powerful soup Homelander before he kills us all. Good luck. Next up. Indeed. Uh, More toy news. Transformers War for Cybertron Kingdom... Uh, three new figures revealed, and those are Air Razor, Dinobot, and Ultra Magnus, which I am actually might get the Air Razor one, because that is a figure from Beast Wars um, that I don't recall having a figure. And if it did, I never saw it, I don't think. So, yeah, so there's... Um, uh, like I said, if you're watching the video version, you can see the... Um, you know, the, the pics of Air Razor, Dinobite, also Dinobot, also from Beast Wars, and Ultra Magnus um, figure, which all will be available through Hasbro Pro Pulse 
and pre-order is actually, um, well, pre-order started yesterday as of this recording and will arrive on April 1st, 2021, which <laughs> that's kind of a, I don't know. Why would you do it on, on, um, on, um, April Fool's day? I don't know. Anyway, the approximate figure, let's see the, Oh, Air Razor is twenty bucks. Uh, Dinobots thirty bucks, and Ultra Magnus is fifty bucks. So there you go. Might actually get the Ultra Magnus one too, but the Air Razor one's probably going to be the one. Next up, toy, <laughs> toy watchdog world against toys causing harm. Really watch. At least they got their acronym right. Released its annual list of big ticket holiday toys that. Uh, to warn parents about uh, so that little ones don't spend the festivities choking on small parts or in an alternative timeline firing Boba Fett's rocket backpack into each other's eyeballs. 2020's list of the 10 worst quote-unquote toys of the year, however, VIGN sees a Star Wars item take a crowning place, the coveted Darksaber of Mandalore. The Darksaber electronic lightsaber costs $30 and features a light-up blade and sound effects of it crackling and clashing when you swing it around. But apparently watch fears that young kids wanting to be a mini Moff Gideon or Pre Vizsla or uh, like uh, Roddy Cat says, Sabine Wren or Bo-Katan Kreese, mm-hmm. um Christmas Day because they might, wow. you know, use it like a large plastic sword and whack people with it. So um, this seems pretty silly for a watch, but hey, you know, you got to get click somehow. That seems pretty serious. It's like I thought we were past the days of these watchdog groups, but apparently we are not. Um, well, I mean, I, was, I understand choking hazards. You know, I do too. I but also, it's a big plastic sword. What do you? Yeah, exactly. I understand poking in the eye hazards, but come on, it's a big plastic sword. Right. Um, it's also worth noting that this article actually, and that was the article who, who mentioned Sabine and, and Bo-Katan, but um, um, uh, it also mentions that the Black Panther power effects VX uh, power effects of vibranium claws, which I think I have a set of, um was also on this list. Okay. Yeah. So I mean but it also as this article notes, uh, at the end of it is like, yeah, kids have been swinging around large plastic swords since there were large plastic swords, or in this case toy lightsabers. Or well, since before there were toy lightsabers. So like oh okay. You buy these for your kids, you you kind of get what you're expecting. Also, I kind of want that dark saber. Uh, I'm just gonna put that out there. If that's gonna happen, I don't know, but I guess we'll find out um, at some point. True believers. Next up, uh, put Baby Yoda on your wrist with Vodafone and Disney's Neo smartwatch. Uh, European. Okay, understand. We know what I was gonna say. I understand why they might be a little pickier about this because it does come to a point. As opposed yes. to like rounded edge, and I believe it does have uh, obviously like this, like the the, the, the dark saber does it does have serrated edges on the the parts of the the sword part. So I mean, you know? I'm not saying I'm I don't get the need to watch for this, but like I would like to believe that parents, you know, you know, parents can do this on on their own and not need people to tell them that this is a thing that's you know. But then again, I've been wrong before because there, you know, aforementioned it is about. In, in this country and more so much so there, there is a, there is a place for all of this anywho um european uh, mobile carrier vodafone has partnered with disney to launch a new wearable uh for kids called the neo 
not to be confused with the Matrix. Photophone says the Neo combines the technological capabilities, uh, take, combines its technological capabilities with Disney's entertainment chops to offer a wearable that gives kids a sense of independence while letting parents stay in contact. Uh, the Neo's most notable feature is its Disney branding. The, the Eve's BR designed watch lets kids choose from a, a collection of sidekicks that will hang out on the main clock screen, including the child Baby Yoda Grogu from The Mandalorian, Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story, and Minnie Mouse. Um, Photophone says that the sidekicks, not to be confused with the sidekick from, from Motorola, uh, will animate throughout the day. And the company plans to add more characters over time with no editor. I feel like I see a couple of adults getting this phone. Getting this for this. <laughs> there's a, there's some hardcore Disney fans out there. Y'all just, y'all don't know. Or maybe you do know. But I, I feel like there's probably going to be a Disney fan or two that's going to get this for that feature. That's funny. Whether they wear it or not, this is a whole other situation. But I also see some people doing that. Depending on how right. the watch band is. Uh, anyway, that's that. Next up. Next up, one of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse's iconic characters is entering the Marvel Contest of Champions. Spider-Ham is the newest playable character for the mobile game with comedian John Mulaney reprising his role as the animated crime fighter. To celebrate Spider-Ham's December release, a new motion comic titled Back on the Air was released on YouTube. The short film features Spider-Ham fighting several threats including Ultron and the Skrulls as well as politicians. Eventually, he is drawn to audition for a spot on an animated series and comes face-to-face with the maniacal Mojo. That's cool that they got John Mulaney to come back for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I must say, I was going to say, what else is he doing? But I think he's probably still doing some stamp up somewhere. So, um, And I was about to go into the Simpsons spider pig, but I totally don't remember all of the words. So it's probably just as well. Next up, my uh, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales player finds another Inhumans Easter egg. Uh, by and large, it seems that Marvel's uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales overall includes uh, fewer slyer references and Easter eggs than the previous video game Marvel Spider-Man, but it does have its fair share, as we've noted uh, in the past couple of weeks. By the way, on this very show, anyway. Uh, notably, the standalone video game keeps much of what it was in the previous title, including Lockjaw. Oh. Including the lockjaw status on statue on Wall Street, but there is yet another, which I don't think I've come across that lockjaw status in the previous game. But there's also yet another Inhumans Easter egg uh, in the video game, apparently. Specifically, a player discovered a second smaller lockjaw statue inside one of the game's many hideouts. Uh, It looks pretty much exactly like the larger statue, statue of the Inhumans companion. And could very well be uh, just an appropriately sized version of the same asset. Um, so yeah, and the, and this article goes on to say that yeah, the, you know, in also the, you know, Lockjaw being an inhuman companion also piled around with uh, uh, Kamala Khan's Miss Marvel. So that is kind of curious as to why it is there though, as this article kind of goes on to say, like maybe possibly. Oh, so as, as to why it's even there, uh, exists a giant Lux Jaw status in the Spider-Man game in the first place. The short version is lawyers. (laughs) 
Shout out to HD70. Let me stop. Uh, <laughs> Inside Net Games wasn't able to use the Charging Bull statue that exists in the real life physical locations for legal reasons. So the company made up a new statue to replace it. Makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Although, one would still argue why Lockjaw? I mean, it still stands to reason. Like, they're pretty much going with anything. I'm not mad with it. I, I want to state that right now. And I'm going to find this, which I guess brings me to the the stream that I said I was going to do uh, on this here uh, Twitch channel, Combo Chronicles. I was going to go through New York, which I should have done a few years ago, and go through all of the um, the, the the Marvel Universe spots that are in the game, because there are plenty. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I'll do it. Including right. a couple of them that are actually not noted, because you have to go around in the original game and take pictures of these landmarks, but there are some landmarks that are not noted, like the Horizon, you know, uh, Horizon um, Company. I think Heart is also in there, but it's not really noted as a, a as a place of landmark. So there are places uh, within the Spider-Man mythos and whatnot that are not necessarily, obviously, you know, places like Hell's Kitchen and stuff like that are well documented. I think uh, Avengers Mansion is there. Well, they they. Avengers Mansion is not noted, and that's, that kind of bummed me out, but I think there is supposedly a version there that's not too far from Avengers Tower. Anyway, regardless, that all will, all of that will be dealt out at some point. I'm sure there's probably an article out there that states where all the landmarks are. Next up, though. Next up, writer Kevin Shinnick says work continues on W.E.B. Dubois. I mean, W.E.B. <laughs> of Spider-Man, like we mentioned last week despite Marvel pulling the limited series from its schedule earlier this month. They didn't pull it permanently, Shinnick tweeted in response to Newsarama's reporting of the hiatus. They are hard at work on this book and excited to share when the time is right. Good for them. Indeed. So yeah, because we previously thought that it was just off the books, and apparently yeah, it's not necessarily, not fully. Anyway, Marvel cancels Star Wars Rise of Skywalker adaptation, Morbius, and more. So apparently Marvel Comics has canceled four of his upcoming titles, uh, including Star Wars Rise of the um, Rise of Skywalker movie adaptation and the ongoing Morbius, Morbius system, which I think is already sitting at, what, four or five issues already? Or three uh, issues already? Uh, like I know that. there's a few issues. That I don't remember exactly how many. Yeah. Um... So yeah, there's, and there's definitely a couple of issues of it already. Anyway, other titles being canceled include the Amazing Spider-Man Daily Bugle miniseries, which I believe also has had a couple of um, issues, and the Dark Agnes miniseries based on Robert E. Howard, the uh, character of the same name. All four series were solicited before the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and were placed on two-month hiatus along with the rest of Marvel's titles, uh, while publication resumed in late, yada, 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 yada. Like I said, I know a couple of these definitely had some issues out. Um, right. So, I, yeah, go figure. I think the Rise of Skywalker one was the one that didn't come about. And that, that I thought that Dark Agnes one might have actually had an issue come out is also. I don't think so. I don't think it made it. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, um, and also mentions uh, Children of Adam, which we haven't seen. Oh, she says it says that uh, Vita Alaya, who was writing Morbius. Uh, they are still continuing to work with Marvel pinning the Children of the Atom series, which we've been kind of looking forward to as a part of the Reign of X uh, storyline. 
And yeah, it does say here that the first five issues of Morbius is, is out in a trade. So, Wookie. And yeah, the first two issues of that Dark Agnes series is actually also out. According okay. to this article. So, cool. One of those, it must be one of those books that we just kind of bypassed in our review copy. So, right. Yeah, it's kind of one of those uh, Conan spinoff books. And like, we don't really, you know, yeah. And yeah, and that Daily Bugles kind of had a couple of them. So, yeah. Or uh, something like that. Anyway, that's a, that's a thing. Next up. Next up, uh, Chris Claremont returns to Wolverine comic books with Steve McNiven. So, um, the catch, though, is that. Um, the story, which follows up on themes and concepts originating from Claremont and Frank Miller's 1982 seminal Wolverine limited series, the story is going to appear in a comic book offered exclusively as part of the publisher's Marvel-made Paragon Claremont Collection collectible bundle on pre-order until today, December 4th. So um, by the time you uh, listen to this on po- in podcast form, it'll be too late. But if you are watching tonight as we uh, as we record, please get out there. Uh, but if you want this, but remember, this is not a cheap thing at all. If you want to get in on this, the cost of this bundle is uh, I'm looking for it now. It doesn't say says. in this article. Yeah. Lovely. But I know that this bundle is like two hundred dollars. Actually, let me flip through. Uh, yes, two hundred dollars, uh, according to the link. Mm-hmm. So on that Marvel made general, and they said it's supposed to be going out March twenty twenty one when it's when they um, when they put it out. So yeah, when they yep yeah. So hopefully you diehard Claremont Wolverine fans are already on this, and I know there's some of y'all out there because I've seen the fan uh, twitters. <laughs> I was about to say I'm a fan, but I own all of those books. Right. You know, except you know, like maybe there's like a, a random issue of like. Uh, um, you know, something I, I, I remember looking at the list. I was like, I own that, own that, own that. No need to put that in a, you know, I mean, it's cool that they have exclusive new stuff. That mm-hmm. is cool, but it's not $200 worth of cool. Right. But again, for the, for those diehard fans, I'm sure the, who will buy up everything. This is for those folks. Yep. Next up. Uh, let's see. The office is actually publishing the adventures of Jimmy Halbert comic. Fans of the hit mockumentary comedy The Office will now be able to buy a comic book that was featured in the series as a holiday gift. The Adventures of Jimmy Halpert uh, was a fictional comic book originally seen in Season 7, Episodes 11 and 12 of the series titled Classic Christmas. It was a gift made by the character Pam Beasley for her husband Jim. Uh, The Office fan and collectible site Dunder Mifflin Paper recently announced that its team made the comic book uh, for purchase. So, yeah, that's the thing, I guess. I mean, it's cool that it's, you know, that it's actually being published and it's actually coming out, you know? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I never really watched The Office, so. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I binged it uh, for uh, before quarantine and I watched most of it. I actually enjoyed that particular episode. Mm-hmm. I got a kick out of that, um, knowing that... Um, you know, Pam was trying to uh, become a professional artist or get, you know, get noticed. And, and, and she did this as part of her um, uh, way of trying to get with um, with Jim. So it was pretty cool to see that, you know, on TV. So, um, 
you know, good that that's getting published. I know there's plenty of Office fans out there that would appreciate that. For sure. Um, and some would say that the real one was the British Britain. I'm stop. I'm not going to do that. Oh, so. no. <laughs> uh, last but not least, it appears, that, <laughs> it appears that Godzilla is roaring back at IDW with multi-year publishing and gaming licensing deal. IDW public because uh, what I was going to say in 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 uh, in regards to this is that um, I know that the Toho licenses for toys mm-hmm. recently lapsed or recently ended with NECA. So any of the NECA the NECA toys that are out there now, um, you won't see any more of those. So if you happen to be fans of those particular ones. You, uh, they won't be uh, made in that style again, so you you may want to pick those up. Um, I know that IDW had a license for Godzilla comics for a long time, and it must have expired because we haven't seen any Godzilla comics in a while. So it looks like they have re-upped, uh, and, the, and the two sides have signed a multi-year licensing deal that includes comic books, tabletop games, and more. The first project debuting in April 2021 is a five-issue Godzilla miniseries. Targeted toward middle grade readers by Eric Burnham, Dan Sh- uh, Sconing or Scaning, and Luis Antonio Delgado. That's cool. Welcome so, back to comics. So look out for that Godzilla uh, and Ghostbusters crossover sometime in 2021, followed by the Transformers and Godzilla uh, crossover, followed by the the. <laughs> The Godzilla, Transformers, and uh, Power Rangers, and and Ghostbusters Blitz crossover in 2022. None of those are real, but I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure the first two are. Yeah, I, I feel fairly confident on that one. Pretty much, pretty much. That's like, not a, that's not a that's not a lie, you know. Hmm. So um, that is it for the news. We have one more ad read. Our last ad read of the night is for Amazon. Help us keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit cspn.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment to help us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And as we come to the end of this here fine show, we'd like to thank each and every one of you folks for coming out. Um, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicats on Twitter. You can find me at NewsNest Need on Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. PC underscore Dirt on Twitter. PopCultureNet on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com and all those umbrella sites therein. And probably still on Byte as comic book reviews. No vowels. The Osiris Citizen ish Tim D O G G 98 on Twitter. Uh, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Combo Chronicles Twitter account. Go go check that out. Follow it. Say hey, how you doing? Uh, the Click Nation on Twitter. That's the K L I Q N A T I O N, all one word. TheClickNation.com. And of course, as we have mentioned uh, numerous times in this show, uh, comic book resources where he's over there writing his face off. 
as he did today, apparently. Yeah. And you can find this here podcast on the Coastal Podcast Network, the CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find this podcast on your podcast perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, uh, Spotify, or the Coastal Lizard Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. And of course, you can find us recording here live um, every Thursday night with with a couple of exceptions. Uh, exceptions uh, on youtube.com slash theclicknation. That's T again. I already spelled it and I'm not going to do it again. But also uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Which 9.30 p.m. Thursday 30-ish p.m. on that night. And uh, the audio version comes out later on in the weekend. Sometimes around Saturday, Sunday on the Affirmation Podcast sites. And so, folks... What's up? Make sure you subscribe. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oops. I forgot this is... uh, There we go. Do that again. I was about to say, and however you consume our content, make sure you hit subscribe. <laughs> in indeed, you know, you know, smash that like button as, as, as and all that kind of good jazz. Which I, I was going to leave that part. I, <laughs> you know, we already said it once. We might as well do it again. Just, we'll probably never do that again. <laughs> Hopefully, unless we're just like loopy or drunk or something, which that will happen. Anyway. Um, next week, same bet time, same bet channel. We will see you folks here. This has been the Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. Wakanda!